everybody, welcome back to MTG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. And Ross, it's good to hear you, man. It's been a while. It's good to hear you, too, and see your lovely visage, Tannen. Uh, lovely is a, is a stretch right now. I feel I feel just, like, awful. Like, I don't actually, like, feel bad, but it's just one of those things where, like... So, for anybody who, like, didn't see maybe on social media or whatever, or maybe didn't hear during the other episodes, I've been recovering from COVID. And, um... It kicked my ass, Ross, and I'm. Uh, you're probably going to hear it on the show. I apologize, everybody. I'm going to try to mute as much as I can. I still can't get over the cough. So anybody who's had it understands. You usually have a cough for a few weeks afterwards. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we might try to keep the show from being two hours today, just for my health and well being, because it's been it's been rough on me lately. Like uh, I had to cancel on a gig recently, and that's not good because like. It's how I make a living, and I talk for a living most of the time, so this has been very not ideal for me. Uh, yeah, you know, re- really not ideal for anyone, Tannen. You know, yeah, it's a net it, loss yeah. for the world. Mm-hmm. Net loss for the world, what, me not being around and being able to talk? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But but at least the Braves are doing well. The, the, you know what? The Braves are doing well, and uh, something interesting actually happened with that today. I'm kind of glad you brought this up. I like had it up on my screen to kind of remember to talk about this. So... Uh, you know, we've talked about this on the show quite a bit, and anybody who's followed baseball knows about like the weirdness of the Freddie Freeman saga leaving Atlanta to go to LA. And I had some like inside information, and there's been some other stuff that's like been posted on social media, and there's been like some reading between the lines, and then some stuff got kind of backtracked, like, oh well, I, I didn't necessarily say that kind of thing, and you're like, well, <laughs> this makes it even sound more like it. You, this is what you meant, kind of thing. Yeah. There's another big development in all of that. Freddy doth protest too much. Yes. So, over the weekend, uh, you know, we're recording this, what, Tuesday uh, the 28th at about 1.30 my time, 2.30 your time, p.m. Um, the the Braves played the Dodgers. So for, And this was the first time Freddy has come back to Atlanta as a non-Brave. And, you know, that's what the predominant of the coverage was the whole weekend. Yeah, by always everybody. an interesting moment when that happens. Yeah. yeah. I, I assume he got applause and not booze. Yeah. So the, the first thing that happened was like, they did a press conference like b- before the series started. Right. And so like, there's a video of it. He like walks in the room and he looks at, you know, the stage that like they set up or whatever. And it's just a stage. It's empty. It has the Braves backdrop. And he immediately bursts into tears. And he's like, guys, I need a minute. He, he walks away for like five minutes, comes back with a towel. So he could get through the, the press conference because he's like literally just crying his eyes out right so it's one of those things it's like that's kind of like and this is not a macho thing about there's no crying in baseball so it's just it's just not normal for players to react this way like this viscerally like to to being back quote-unquote home you know even though he moved back to the west coast where he's from all right so then you know his first at, he, he gets announced before the game huge applause his first at bat comes up humongous applause i'm talking a 60 second standing ovation where he, he like tries to get back in the box and he can't because they're getting too <laughs> loud. And like our catcher gets up and like kind of, you know, the, the, the catcher and the umpire do the whole like, oh, I have something to do, you know, like they like clean the plate off. So like you have more time kind of thing. Right. And so just this huge reaction. And you could tell he's like he's losing it. Right. Like he's fighting to not cry while he's on the field. This happens every single game, by the way. It was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Every uh, at bat of every game of the series, uh, the first at bat of the games. Okay, so it's the first at bat of, of each game. The rest of them were yeah, a little so different. Anytime right? there's a new crowd, that yeah, crowd yeah. is like, okay, now it's our yeah. turn. <laughs> now it's our turn to like, yeah, say thank you, you know, kind of thing. Uh, he did an interview with uh, the the, the side, like the quote unquote sideline reporter kind of thing um, with, with our with 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 the Braves side, 
they asked she asked one question and he like could not get through it he's like you know dying crying and like all this stuff and like some quotes came out from like clayton kershaw and some other people that like got interviewed over the span of the weekend and like some of them are just really weird in the way that he's like he's like yeah this is like a special thing but like hopefully we're not second fiddle like what what kind of like when have you ever heard an athlete talking about another teammate saying hopefully we're not his second choice and like some of these things that are being said i'm just like these aren't normal things that are being said and stuff and so like you never see this in this situation come up and you know it got talked about on social media a lot you know i'm like you i know you follow all the the people who like write for the jazz and you know tweet about the jazz a lot i've seen your retweets i'm the same i have one twitter list and it's just Oh, you know, jazz yes. basketball. I follow Braves Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I follow Braves Twitter. Braves Twitter, I'll tell you this. One thing about it is they always have time for it. I'll tell you that right now. Braves Twitter is scary. Like, if you ever say something, they have the receipts and they always have time for it. So it'll always come back. And so uh, a lot of the, the big talk was is, like, if you look between the lines and read between the lines and all stuff, you could, like, it kind of seems like he would rather be here still. And, like, everyone knew that. He wanted to stay in Atlanta. Right. Like, and he'd still rather be here. Like there's a, there's a really telling photo of after he like makes it out, he like, there's a video of him going back to the dugout. No one even looks at him or says anything. And he goes and sits down on the bench by himself. And there's just a photo of like all of the Dodgers, like kind of close (laughs) to each other, like up on the thing. And he's just sitting by himself on a bench. He was always a loner, right? Like even with Atlanta, I've, I've heard that he was a loner. He was a guy that would like come in the, in the, in the place, do his stuff, go home to his family, like stick to himself. Uh, the quote unquote, lead by example and i wonder what the narrative on him would be if he wasn't like an all-star every year it wasn't absurd and wasn't there for 12 years because he was a guy that was just there for three years was a moderately okay player like they would have been like ah he never really fit in i think that's what the you know what i mean instead of oh it's freddie fucking freeman like you know like he can do whatever he wants he can do no wrong i've kind of buried the lead here so the thing that happened today uh freddie fired his agent today and this is something that doesn't come as a surprise if you followed any of it. I'm just surprised that A, it took this long, and B, the timing that it's like right after the Atlanta thing, because maybe some of the emotions and feelings came back up and became fresh again. But I don't know if you remember me talking about this. Like, you know what happened while you ended up not back in Atlanta, right? No. So when the negotiations started, uh, Freddie was kind of hurt that he even got to free agency. You know, he was very much expected the year before to get an extension. And he's like, I'm surprised I even made it this far. There's a lot to that. Uh, Atlanta is a publicly owned company. They lost a fuck ton of money the year before because of COVID. And I think they just didn't know what you know the financials were going to be. And they, uh, the front office of the Braves was not given permission by the... It's like, it's by very much... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making an analogy here. It's kind of like Watsy versus Hasbro. You know yeah. that a lot of the really bad decisions and the ones that have hurt the game of Magic are the ones that we've really disagreed with have come directly from Hasbro, and maybe a lot of the people at Watsy don't agree with it, but their hands are tied. That's who yeah. owns you. That's who writes the checks. So that's a lot of like what's going on at the Atlanta Braves. It's a really weird situation. So um, Freddie at one point, so he's a very emotional guy, right? Like very emotional guy, obviously. I've, I've shown instances of that. Uh, at one point during the negotiations, during the offseason, he just washes his hands up. He's like, I don't I don't want to be involved in this anymore. He like wasn't taking calls from me. He's like, I'll let my agent handle all of this. So um, his agent comes to Atlanta. And so like the, there's the typical free agent thing. Oh, there's like seven teams involved. You know, all these teams are it's, it, it's almost all BS. It was yeah. Atlanta and it was the Dodgers were the two teams that were involved and seriously involved. Atlanta actually put a really, really good offer on the table for Freeman. Uh, his agent wanted one more year of guaranteed money, 
right? He's like, you know, we want the 60 or whatever. Atlanta's like, we only want to give you five. You know, he's like, he's 32. We don't really want to be paying him when he's 38, you know, 30 something million a year because those contracts have never worked out in the history of baseball. Like they yeah. just never worked, right? And so they're trying not to get just- Power pools. Yeah, they don't mind having like maybe one or two years. You know, if you, if you sign a five-year contract, like, right? Like year four and five might not be good, but the first three, that's great. Huge yeah. window, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't want it like half the contract to be bad if you can avoid it, right? So um, Atlanta like makes this offer. They're, they're countering and all this stuff. And then they're like, well, the Dodgers are offering us this. And Atlanta's like, we, we don't believe you. Like, we just like do not believe you. So they go back and forth. And at one point, Freddie Freeman's agent uh, puts an ultimatum on the table. He's like, we want this many years at this, at this rate. Or we're going to the Dodgers, to, and you have like 24 hours or 36 hours, whatever it was. And there's a really funny quote from it because um, that somehow got leaked, which is funny because Atlanta is one of the best corporations in all of sports at not leaking anything. They run the tightest shit possible. You never you never hear about anything getting through, right? Sure. So they, they, they're not going to leak anything, blah, blah, blah. So when that happens, um, it gets leaked. And Chipper Jones, a Hall of Fame uh, Braves guy, you know, he hears about this and contacts Freddie Freeman and, like, I'm guessing tries to contact his agent. And he says something along the lines of, don't do this. And he says, he says, don't fuck with Atlanta. They will call your bluff. Like, don't mess with them. Don't put them in the situation, right? So the agent doesn't listen to him. The agent's like, yeah, whatever. Well, we're going to do this ultimatum thing. We're going to put the put the Atlanta in the situation where... Uh, they have to make this bigger offer than they want to, or we're going to the Dodgers who are making this offer. So, you know, Chipper tells them, he's like, don't mess with them. They will call your bluff. Atlanta will call your bluff. Don't fuck with them, right? So they end up doing it anyway. So the agent's like, here's the ultimatum. We're doing this thing, right? It's like, you know what? I'm going to fuck with them. Yeah, I'm going to fuck with them. They're, they're going to give in. He, so, he fucked around and found out. Yeah, so, so he gives them the ultimatum. Within 12, I think it's like within, it's, it's less than a day goes by. They trade for Matt Olson, an all-star first baseman from the Oakland A's, which signifies Freeman's not coming back when they make that trade. And they didn't tell anyone, didn't do anything. Like I said, nothing leaks. So Freddie finds out about this the way the rest of the world does. You know, it's a, everything's on Twitter, social media. Oh, my God, the Braves, Matt Olson. So Freeman's just like, what the fuck? You know, and like, can you imagine being his agent where he's like, oh, shit. Like, not only did he not get to go back to Atlanta like he wanted, now we've lost our leverage. Because he, they really needed Freeman to sign before Atlanta had the replacement in place. Yeah. Because you can't, you don't have multiple teams fighting against each other now. So when all this is said and done, Freeman actually takes less years and money to play in LA than the offer the Braves had on the table that was getting squeezed out for more. Also, don't forget that he's playing in California now instead of Georgia, where he goes from a good tax bracket to the worst in the entire sport. So now his contract's actually worth like 15% less than the other one at the same dollar value. I forgot the exact number. It's something absurd. Plus, a lot of his contract is deferred, which uh, the players union doesn't love when you do this, but like some some corporations, this is a big thing they do. Uh, deferrals mean, let's say Freddie's making $30 million a year. And I, I just take this with a grain of salt because I'm going to say $30 million a year, and he's only getting $15 million a year. And the other 15 is deferred to the future. Right, like he'll get, you know, five million this year, five million the next year, five million the next year. So he'll be paid up to like twenty thirty, you know, or twenty forty, you know, which is yeah. hey, it's it's actually not that bad of a, a thing, you know. Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid by the Mets from a contract that he signed in the nineties, you know. 
didn't he just take the last payment like last year? Uh, I think so. I think he might have like one year left or something. I don't remember. Yeah. It's 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 close. We have we have one that we're doing too. The Braves are doing one from like a guy, but it's nowhere near the Bobby Bonilla thing. Yeah. So, but there's like not only is his contract worse years wise, money wise, and the money's deferred. He has this weird clause in his contract. For one, he didn't get a no trade con uh, uh, part of the contract, which is strange of a player of his caliber. Yeah. So like they could just trade him whatever they want. But there's a there's a clause in his contract that states if he gets traded. His deferrals are no longer guaranteed, so he makes even less money. So he just gives up like forty percent of his contract if he gets traded, which he has no power to stop. Which he has no power to stop. So let's say in two years from now he just sucks or whatever. The Dodgers are like, all right, well we're going to trade you to Baltimore with like a really good prospect, so they'll just take the contract and you know we'll do whatever. And now you're not playing in L.A., you're not playing Atlanta, and you're making less money. Have fun, buddy. You know, like, and it's just like so. The whole thing blows my mind, right? Like it is a monumental failure on multiple, multiple levels from every from, from the player to each organization, right? And especially and, the agent. <laughs> and especially the agent. So today he got fired, finally. But like, it's one of those things where like maybe Freddie just like felt some loyalty to the guy, blah blah blah. But then after being back in Atlanta, he was like, I, I, I just don't want the reminder of this. You know, I don't, I don't want to have you around and stuff. And so it's just nuts. Like everybody on Twitter was talking about it. Like you could tell he still just wanted to be here. And Atlanta still just wanted him there. Like nothing against Matt Olson. We love Matt Olson. He's going to be our guy for the next eight years. Right. You know, love this guy. Right. Hometown dude. But like you can tell I, I just it's I know I'm talking about this like as a Braves fan from a Braves perspective, but I've never seen anything like this in sports before where like both sides wanted something to happen. The third party screws it up. And then, like, you've heard some people talk about, like, uh, RGM, Anthopolis, literally said the other day, he's like, he's like, yeah, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have called Freddie directly. Because, like, you know, when the agent was like, you're not talking to him, you're, you're dealing with me, blah, blah, blah. Like, you could tell he kind of was just like, I should have just gone over his head. Like, I, sh- I should have just, like, been like, what, what are we doing? You know, like, yeah. can we can we reasonably talk this out? Like, kind of thing? I, I mean... I don't have a, a deep knowledge of weird contract situations like this in sports history, but the, the closest thing I could possibly think of is Dwayne Wade, where uh, as he was declining and after LeBron had gone back to Cleveland uh, in Miami, and keep in mind, Wade is literally like the greatest player in that franchise's history just for that fan base. Obviously, like when LeBron was there, he was a better player. And he's the best player to ever put on a uniform there. But Wade is just so beloved for that franchise because he was you know, their guy from the beginning, brought them the title in 06, uh, and then recruited LeBron there to get their other two titles. Um, and had played nowhere else and ended up leaving to go play in Chicago, which is his hometown. Um, and, you know, thought maybe he had a better chance of getting another ring there. Kind of wanted to play in Chicago a little bit because that's you know where he's from initially. Um, and then after, you know, Chicago didn't really work out, well, uh, rejoined LeBron in Cleveland, uh, towards the end of his career, halfway through that year in Cleveland, he realized that he really just wanted to be in Miami still. And Cleveland was nice enough to like let him out of his contract, I think. And, and he probably just re-signed a prorated deal to finish that year in Miami and then did one more sort of farewell tour year in Miami to cap off his career. Um, but like there was no like none of the like the shadiness that sort of happened around this uh, and acrimony 
that that occurred it's that's really strange yeah i'm trying to think of a few of the crazy ones like who was it was it like i think the first time billy donovan went to the nba like you know like he either like won a title or or, or florida went to the final four in the finals like two years in a row and he was like the hot commodity out of college basketball back-to-back titles in 06 and 07 that's, that's what it was and he like he like signed to go with like the celtics or something and then like a couple days later he's like my heart's not in this i'm sorry and he like went back to florida or whatever like they had to back up and then the if you've ever seen Moneyball, I know you have. I'm saying anybody at home, if you've ever seen or you know Moneyball or whatever. There's a part of the story they don't tell you. You know, at the end of the sh- at the show, at the end of the movie, you know, Brad Pitt. They're like he gets that huge offer from Boston. He's like, Nah, I got this thing going on in Oakland. I want to like see it through. You know, with like we got something special here. He actually took the deal. He left for like two days, and then he was just like, Nah, I I, I made a mistake. I want I want to go back to to Oakland. And so they is, had to. Is that in the book? If I remember right, it's in the book, and I think that's yeah. how Boston got Kevin Euclidisk, by the way, because I'm pretty sure he was with the Oakland A's and got drafted by Billy Bean, and then they were like, well, if you want your guy back, we need compensation. So, like, that's the funny thing is in baseball, you can technically trade anything. Like, you yeah. don't just trade players. Coaches have been traded. GMs have been traded. Booth personalities have been traded. Like, the guy literally calling the game in the booth. Have Like, can you imagine me right now, Flesh and Blood? It's like, we're going to trade Tannen to Watsy for... <laughs> for blah 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 like somebody yeah. and uh use of their printing press for the next year and a half or whatever you know so they can get yeah. more cards out i don't know like you'd be like i'd be like what the fuck <laughs> can you let me a player to be something named? to you yeah and a player to be named later right yeah you could trade i know you could trade coaches in the nba too that that's mm-hmm. how doc rivers went from boston to the clippers yep it's happened yeah that yeah. was a trade <clears throat> um i don't know how many other times that has happened in, in nba history but uh, yeah, I was just going to say, because I, I read the book many years ago, but it's been so long that I'm not surprised I, I don't I may, remember. I, I might be slightly wrong, obviously. Like, I, I read the book, you know, when it came out, like, in the, I don't know, yeah. mid to early 2000s. I think it was 02. Yeah. yeah, something like that. So, I mean, I was in probably high school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but, yeah I, I read it in high school. It was probably, like, 05. Yeah, just to kind of wrap it all up, it's just, like, uh, John Heyman's reporting right now that an email has been sent uh, direct to all of the baseball agents, do not co- contact Freddie Freeman. Like, literally, they've been told, do not contact him. Right now, he's being self-represented, blah, blah, blah. And, like, there's just m- more layers to this every time you hear something. And I'm just just to wrap it all up, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen emotion like this from a player when it comes to... And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's great. Like, there should be more crying in baseball. There should be, like, more, you know, cool stuff like this. But... The stuff behind it is not cool and is not great. And I've never seen any, anything like this or played out this way. And I don't even think this is the last we've heard of this. Like, I think 10 or 15 years from now, we're going to hear the real story. And it's going to, it's going to like break my heart all over again. I also think that the this era of, you know, what we've called the era of player empowerment in sports. With, with Where they've free had way more. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, full free agency and this ability for players to sort of pick where they want to go. I think years from now, we're going to learn a lot more that it was agent empowerment. Because obviously, like these players have so much going on in their lives, just being a professional athlete, that they they usually have, you know, a huge, you know, organization of people around them taking care of a lot of the like day to day things. And having an agent is a big part of that, you know, dealing with the business side of it. Uh, and 
you know, player empowerment means that agents have a lot more power because they're the ones who are actually doing the negotiating. And if more of these negotiations are taking place and the player side has more power, then that means the agent themselves has more power. So and we're already starting to see it in the NBA with Clutch and um, what's the other one? I don't remember. Having to collect these big agencies that have a lot of star power among them right. end up, you know, creating a lot of media narratives in order to drive their players together in ways that, that are beneficial for the agency. Um so there's definitely a lot, a lot of stuff going behind the scenes, going on behind the scenes now with agents who are, you know, fully taking advantage of this era because it means significantly more money for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and so like you know, there's a new source saying, and I quote: Freddie Freeman, who's told friends he's angry with how his free agency negotiations played out, is is changing representation away from Excel. He's currently listed as being self-represented, and like you said, like I think it has come down to the point of. Uh, the people behind the scenes are getting too much power, and they're. And this is one of the f- the first big public fuck ups, like real mess ups that I can remember. You know, where we've publicly known some stuff that we like, we probably shouldn't and normally <laughs> wouldn't know. You know, kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, do you want to talk about some magic? Um. Yeah, I guess we could do that. Yeah, I mean, we should probably do that on the show, right? It is magic. It wouldn't be a, a show without us ranting about some random stuff at the beginning, because like, this happened literally yeah. five seconds before we went live. And it's really funny. It's It seemed like you set me up really well to talk about this, and you, you had no idea. That oh, this not was going, clue. Which, I had no idea this is this Which is, you're just like, oh, the Braves are doing well. I was like, I've, oh, about that. <laughs> I've been completely consumed with the you know upcoming NBA free agency and last week's draft and the Jazz coaching search now that Quinn Snyder has stepped down. Don't know if I told you that. But. Yeah, I've been keeping up a little. I mean, <laughs> yeah. look, here's the thing: I've barely left my house for the last like three weeks. <laughs> you know, since I got back from Vegas, I've I haven't done much but surf the internet and watch yeah. television. So thankfully, a lot of good TV shows just came out. So I've been like. You know, running through all that stuff, but I just got to the point where like I've been exercising again, and nice. holy crap, am I like I lost everything that I had gained over the last few months? Well, I also noticed that post COVID, like it was a lot harder. <laughs> like, there's definitely some lingering mm-hmm. effects in terms of my, yes. you know, just cardiovascular health and, and pulmonary strength. I guess exactly. Like, I I feel like I'm doing almost one full set less. I'm weaker, and and that's even with taking like pre workout and stuff. You know, stuff to like you know get me going more. And I'm definitely like obviously I'm, I was like way more sore afterwards. I hadn't done anything in like two or three weeks, and I was just like, man, this sucks. And then yeah. getting back to like taking all the stuff that I take along with it because you know like I do like protein shakes with like creatine and like you know all these uh, <clears throat> these like supplements, like nothing too crazy, but like you know supplements that are good, you know you're supposed to do with the stuff. And it's just like my body did not like that for like the first day or two, like. I was uh, not okay, if you know what I'm talking about, for yeah. the first day or two, trying to get back into that that yeah. rhythm. And I was like, this sucks. But- I mean, I, I had COVID in late November last year. And the first time I, we played, first couple times, really, that we got out on a basketball court in the spring. So this is months later. You know, I, it's always tough in the, in the early spring because we've been, you know, not on the court for months because of winter. And, uh, but usually, like, within a, a week or so, you know, by the third time, uh, I'm pretty much back to normal and that was not the case like i would you know normally we'll play two or three games so we're out there for an hour maybe hour and a half and <coughs> half an hour in i would be dying like yeah like way faster than normal right yeah like yeah right. that's 
I'm assuming I'm gonna have the same thing. I haven't really done a whole lot of, I don't do a ton of cardio anyway, because if you've seen me, I'm not the kind of person that should be like running three miles a day, right? Like I'm the one that does the, I walk at a really brisk pace for like 20 or 30 minutes to keep my heart rate up, but like not to, to shred. Are you looking at the picture that I sent you? Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, as I say, this is the picture that I was talking about earlier with, uh, he just looks unhappy, right? I'm talking about the, uh, the, the stuff with Freddie Freeman Freddy, earlier. But yeah, um, but yeah like, I, you know, I've been trying to get back out and do it. It's just like the timing's been weird because like if it's sunny in Louisiana right now, we're, we're in the, the crazy part of the summer where it's raining like crazy every day. But when it's sunny, it's 100 degrees and humid. So like if you're outside for more than five or 10 minutes, you were like, I cut my grass the other day, like just the front part of my grass. And it took me three different tries. A, COVID, and then B, like, it was so unbearable outside. I was just, like, getting dizzy after cutting, like, a third of my yard. Jesus. A third of a half of my yard. So, I was like, this... And also, I mean, you are gonna, you should take it easy, right? Like, you shouldn't try to overdo yourself. Correct. You know, kind of thing. It's, like, one of the things, like, I wanted to push myself to see what I could do physically, but at the same time, it's, like, I don't want to die kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it's, there's a lot to it, right? So We're not young men anymore, Tannen. Speak for yourself. No, I'm joking. Um, I'll be 38. <laughs> as much as you still look like one. Yeah, I'll be 38 very soon. It's like, it's it's sneaking up on me. I'm starting to say, look, you get this uh, new haircut recently. You trimmed your beard and stuff. You're looking good, man. You're looking, mm. you're looking young. You can spry. You've been out, like, being active and stuff. I'm very jealous. In fact, Thank I might come you. visit you soon and, like, complain your softball league for, like, a month or something. I'm really bored. Hey, we've, got a, we've got a high bar right now. We've won one game each season. Well, okay, well, we'll win two. Maybe in a row. That's called a winning streak. Ooh. Well, uh, we, yeah, we'll, we'll have to start back up from zero. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, I know there's a couple things you wanted to talk about specifically today, so I'm going to let you kind of, like, lead the conversation and where we're going, because I'll tell you this, to be fair and to be honest, I've been a little detached from Magic the last couple weeks with everything that's going on. It's something that's kind of understandable. You know, new Flesh and Blood set came out. I've been doing a ton of stuff for Flesh and Blood. I've been... Uh, I've got another pro tour coming up soon where I have to go to France for like a week and I'm trying to like figure all that out with, you know, this going on and stuff. It's, it's been hectic, Ross. Yeah. Uh, so I really wanted to just, you know, check back in with, with Pioneer and Modern. We haven't done that a lot recently with all the, you know, previews and, uh, a lot of other things going on around magic. And I noticed, uh, you know, an interesting trend with the last week's online results, because it's not what you had expected, right? Is yeah, in my mind, there was a pretty clear top deck for each format. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've been keeping up enough, right? It seems to me like four color has been doing just absurd things in modern. Yeah, and that's for a while now. You know, that's right. been for months. But more recently, with Pioneer, which is where I want to start. Uh, you know, we've had, we had the bands only what like a month ago at this point, and Mono Green Devotion really looked like an early winner there. Uh, and I talked about this on, on our last episode when we had Zach on, uh, and I think Zach made a really interesting point then that it wasn't all too surprising that Mono Green is an early winner because in that kind of metagame where people are really scrambling to figure things out and lists are a little bit more untuned, Mono Green is an easy deck to get right and a forgiving deck to yeah. or an easy deck to get like close enough, I should say, because it's so forgiving. So you know if your deck list is five cards off. You know, you can still play Elf into Creature into Nykthos and do something busted, you know, with that mana. Also, you're doing something very powerful, too, right? Which is, like, you can kind of, if, if your deck isn't 
you know, the best deck for the weekend, the fact that you're doing powerful things can make up for a lot of lost uh, percentages in there. Yeah, po- powerful, proactive. So, you know, all, so all, the, all those things Tron, are good. You know, like, yeah. But Mono Green Devotion really had a poor weekend in the challenges. No top eights across either of them. Really only a, a handful in that X2 bracket. There were a bunch in the in the near the top of the X3 bracket in one of them. So if you look at the top 32, there's like six of them. But a lot of them are towards the back end of those standings in the X3 bracket, which isn't particularly impressive. Right. Um, and, the, you know, the fact that they were showing up and, and putting up mediocre numbers could tell you that the, the metagame is more prepared for them, which is what where I'm lying right now. Uh, on on that analysis, where like mono green, you know, still a good, still a powerful deck, uh, but probably needs some adaptation at this point, and you need to start thinking like, okay, I- I'm going to have to make some changes based on the emerging post ban metagame, uh, which you know looks you know quite good. Surprise, uh, I shouldn't say surprisingly diverse, but um, you know, it just looks like a, a once again a nice spread of archetypes and different kinds of strategies. We see some Bant spirits, mono blue spirits, uh, and a lot of other things all the way up the spectrum. Tannen, you, you made a face like you were disgusted. No, I'm not disgusted. I just wanted to say like when I when I look at the when I look at the decks, right? I, I feel like the the results from this weekend, the the two different challenges that I'm looking at, are kind of where. I wanted, you wanted, and where I think the idea of Pioneer was going, where like maybe we're not seeing the mid-range decks that we expected, but we're seeing almost all of the decks that did well this weekend were creature-based strategies. You know, you're not seeing as many like combo decks, right? You know, I know you're gonna want to talk about one here in a minute, but we're not gonna see as many combo decks. Uh, we're not seeing. We are seeing some control, right? Like blue-white still pops up. You know, it's a deck that it's powerful if its answers line up. For the first two or three turns of the game, it's going to be in a very good spot when it finally turns the corner and plays a big planeswalker or whatever. But when you look at the decks that are doing well this weekend, you know, you're kind of getting to this as like, yeah, some Phoenix decks did well, and however you want to, you know, whatever kind of strategy you want to say those decks, but like looking at, you know, Black Red Sacrifice, you know, did well. Then you're looking at Red White Heroic did well this weekend yeah. with multiple people, you know, multiple finishes. Uh, Boris uh, Heroic, like, yeah. based on the, these results, looks like the premier aggro deck right now. Yeah, also, uh, there, there's a running joke on Twitter with the worst deck in Pioneer top eighted again this weekend in misplaced Ginger's hand of the black red mid range deck. You know, it's just good like black red good cards. Um, some weird Bant deck, you know, uh, with like uh, Yorion and stuff made it. And then you're looking at like the other ones as well. You're looking at you know um, Bant Spirits like you said with Collected Company. Mono Blue Spirits has been putting up decent results. Uh, what is this esper well it's not esper it's humans it's got green in it too it's like esper but green it's the yeah it's the four to five color human deck yeah and then you're looking at blue eye control those those are pretty much the decks that you're looking at this weekend there's a there's a mono red deck too but on average these decks have 20 something creatures in them you know you're looking at creature based strategies and like attacking and blocking and like trying to do those kind of things and using your removal spells and stuff and it feels like standard plus right you know did what five six years ago back when standard was like more playable and this is a format while you know some people want to like it I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of formats like this where you get to play back and forth magic yeah you know combat is really the most interactive phase of the turn right uh, it, what's, what was the saying any format where blocking is is something that happens it's a good format i think it's yeah. what reed duke said i think um and i i think that's a a good point and it reveals uh something deeper going on in the metagame 
I think one of the reasons we're seeing the you know creature decks do pretty well is the uh, out of the you know ashes of the expressive iteration ban. It is Arclight Phoenix that has emerged as the best is it deck, not is it prowess. Um, and the Arclight Phoenix decks are probably some of the more creature light decks in the metagame. They really either play Ledger Shredder or Thing in the Ice to supplement Phoenix. Uh, you know, the, the list vary on, on that decision. Sometimes you see some crackling drakes as well. But that's a, a deck that creature removal is not particularly good against because there's so few targets. You need a little bit, of, obviously, because you can't just let Ledger Shredders and Crackling Drakes live. Crackling Drake is blue, blue, red, red, suspend one, win the game. Yeah. And uh, so, But, you know, the decks that are full of creature removal are usually going to struggle against Arclight Phoenix and Treasure Cruise. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. no, no surprise there that people are moving away from that kind of interaction. And then these heavy creature decks like Bant Spirits, Mono Blue Spirits, uh, the, even the various Rakdos decks, you know, play a, a good number of creatures and Boros Heroic, you know, they're able to slide in there and say, you know what, you know, if you're not playing the necessary amount of removal, I'm going to punish you in a different way. Mm-hmm. And now we have a very interesting pull on the metagame because is it Phoenix did you know did pretty well? I see a, a first and a second in mm-hmm. one of them, and then um, I don't know how I don't exactly think it top eight of the other one. one. I don't okay. think it top eight of the other one. But still, you know, two top eights and a trophy that's probably among mm-hmm. the better performing decks. Yeah. Uh, certainly a popular deck. You know, is it Phoenix? Uh, you know, is definitely not going anywhere. Um, so you know, that being one pillar of the metagame and then all of these creature heavy decks sort of being another pillar creates a really interesting squeeze for other decks that are trying to get in. You know, do I go heavy removal and then try to come up with some other way to combat? Is it Phoenix? I think that's basically where Rakdos midrange is and all of the incidental graveyard hate is their way of attacking. Is it Phoenix? Yeah. You know, uh, uh graveyard and, trespasser is a hell of a card. Yeah. yeah. That, that one in particular. So, um, Maybe that means Rakdos Midrange is actually, you know, pretty well positioned as much of a meme as it's become on Magic Twitter in recent weeks. So, yeah, I think a lot the, with the meme is the fact that, like, the deck just has draws, right? It doesn't have, like, great draws. It doesn't have, like, some curve that's unbeatable. It just has, you just have cards, right? You have lands and spells. It's kind of like Jund. I think it's just the Jund of the format, where, like, you know, it's a 50 50 deck, and if you're good with it, you know your matchups and you play well, like, you're going to win some matchups, but, like, you never feel like you're doing anything, like, broken. You know, like, when you look at these other decks, like, when I look at Red White Heroic, I can see draws that, like, you just can't beat. You know, like, God's Willing is a hell of a card in the format right now with a lot of these, you know, target removal spells. One God's Willing can win a game. You know, Reckless Rage is a card that's going nuts in this format right now. One red mana kill practically any creature. Yeah, that's the fact in the that it kills right Thing in the Ice and mm-hmm. even a Ledger Shredder that your opponent kind of protects by waiting until turn mm-hmm. three, which is a pretty common sequence. Reckless Rage is probably the best removal spell in the format. And it was one of the reasons that Is It Prowess was so good and Boros Heroic is sort of the original, you know, user of that removal spell. Also, it's it's us- it's utilizing a new card from Streets of New Capana uh, or whatever it's called. Sorry, yeah. uh, too many n- new card names with Magic and Flesh and Blood. But uh, Illuminator Virtuoso has been a card that's like kind of impressed me. It's one of those cards where uh, sometimes you have to play it on turn two with the way your curve works out. But like if you can ever play it and protect it or start to activate it, if it doesn't die immediately, the game's over. For at home, it's one in one in a white for a one one human rogue that has double strike, and then when it becomes a target of a spell, you control. Not resolves, but it becomes a target of a spell. It connives. So, like, this card gets really big, really... Like, you you can untap with this card and kill someone. 
from yeah. a very high life total. Uh, and you see the the rest of the list is slightly altered to take advantage of the virtuoso, uh, which you know is it's it's good in the deck in general, right? It's it's a powerful card that works well with all your tricks, um, and it gives you necessary card selection, which these heroic decks often haven't had uh, and are lacking in. So it increases consistency. It also synergizes incredibly well with Dreadheart Arcanist. So you can often like cast a spell, discard the one you want, I flashback with the Arcanist, and and you know cast something else, uh, and keeping your graveyard full for the Arcanist. But with the way the lists are built are being built right now, we see these four copies of Homestead Courage. Yeah, a, that's the a, one I wanted to bring up. Yeah. This is a very mediocre spell. One white sorcery. Normally you want instance here. Put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. It gains vigilance until end of turn, but has flashback for a white. So you're able to discard that card with a Illuminator Virtuoso, get those extra counters on, uh, make sure you hit your land drops, and still have more gas with the flashback. And then the, the last uh, card that I think is a and you know, in a large part, a nod to the virtuoso is these two copies of Invigorated Rampage. I'm seeing in a lot of lists, uh, yeah, in particular the sixth place important. list from uh, Freycom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, historically we've seen Titan Strength in the the spot. The Scry one's a little valuable, mainly there just for just costing one mana. Uh, but here, the Trample when you got Illuminated Virtuoso and any extra point of power, so getting four power. Uh, in addition, is really valuable once you set up some very quick kills. So uh, it definitely seems like Illuminator Virtuoso is, you know, established as a very critical card in this archetype, despite being very new. Uh, and, you know, I would not be surprised to see even 10th District Legionnaire, which seems like a card that should be a staple of the archetype, continue to decrease in numbers because you can only have so many two drops and you already have Dreadhorde Arcanist and Virtuoso. Uh, honestly, like I would go down to like one or two legionnaires and play more one drops if I was in this deck because I always want such a low curve. Uh, but I, I'm not surprised to see that be a, a slow process because there's always so much inertia in how decks are built and people are loath to give up their pet cards. No, 100% agree with you there. Like I'm looking at this deck, like this deck looks like a problem for you know a lot of what's going on, especially when decks like. Mono green aren't putting up as big a results. You're not seeing the combo decks, the decks that can ignore what you're doing. Yeah, you could get to kind of like goldfish them, but if mono green starts to cast some of their like seven and eight mana, like some big spells, they can get in the way, like a little bit too much for you to win and then put up board states that you can't get through. And the combo decks, if they can ignore you long enough, can just kill you, right? But like you said, like, you know, with more one drops and then, you know, with this double striking card that gets very big very fast, like you have nut draws that can kill in like turn four pretty fast and like I'm, I'm sure there might even be a turn three kill with this deck if you like have no one interacting you have the perfect draw kind of thing but or if they're just playing creatures because your yeah, your rampage can let you you know go way over the top of something like mm-hmm. that yeah and so like yeah this deck seems great and so does some of these other ones as well too but like yeah, this is one of the ones that's like stood out to me because we've seen this deck forever right it always goes through um, a slight metamorphosis, right? You know, like some new one mana trick comes out, right? Or some new one mana creature or something, you know, like one of the pieces of the puzzle, you know, comes in. Like when you see, like, you know, Illuminator Virtuoso. is in Phoenix Stand and not Heroic. Yeah, I knew you were, I knew it. Do you see my face when I said it? I like knew, I was like, son of a bitch, like right when I said it. But yeah, like one of these new, you know, things like finding Homestead Courage is the fact that like, hey, this is just, you know, extra velocity for the deck. And uh, I might be I might be with you saying that this is the premier aggro deck, but I'm not sure if 
it depends on where you put spirits. I still think spirits is one of the premier aggro decks of the format too, even though it doesn't play like an aggro deck all the time. Well, I mean, you know, to me, it looks like there there's there's really four aggro decks here that are putting up reasonable results, and it's the the band spirits, mono blue spirits, mono red, and Boros Roic, and they all play very differently. Boros Roic is this go tall uh, kind of tricksy protect the queen deck and um you know mono blue is that temp neo classic tempo style where you're getting ahead with cheap creatures and then interacting a lot uh then there's the uh you know mono red that is actually probably the grindiest of them because it's playing things like chandra has inherent card advantage from a bone crusher giant and it's mana base allows it to play a lot of utility lands uh, so you just have a lot of things to do with your mana as the game goes along. Um, in addition to, you know, just being able to play as a straight up mono red kind of burn deck. And then, uh, the, what was the last one? Uh, and then Bant Spirits, yeah. which is not like, it's not really as the, it's not a tempo deck in the same way mono blue is because there's not that much interaction really. Like there's spell queller and then there's some, you know, ways to interact with some creatures, Shackelgeist in particular, but you're mainly playing a board presence kind of deck where I'm just going to dominate the battlefield, have, you know, a bunch of huge creatures, all these lords, and because of all all my creatures fly and most of yours don't, you know, maybe none of them do, I'll just attack with the ones I can attack with, leave back the ones that are appropriate blockers, and you're just not really going to get into combat. It has, you know, Rattle Chains is a little bit of interaction too. So that one's a, a little, you know, they all really have their own subtle differences. So regardless of the kind of aggro player you are, there is a style of deck that really is going to fit the way mm-hmm. you want to play. Yeah, and like one of the things that I'm a little worried about, like when I looked at all the decks, I kept like kind of feeling myself gravitate towards Mono Blue Spirits, right? For obvious reasons, you know, I love yeah. Mono Blue Shitters, you know, I love No Delver. one is surprised yet. Right, and it kept putting up results, which always surprised me, because like, I feel like this is just weaker versions of the other decks. And one thing that I will tell you is that I, I do think the format's becoming slightly hostile towards it with some of these decks that are coming out and just being good against it naturally, but I've also seen a lot of people really playing a ton of Mystical Disputes and Skylasher. Do you remember that card? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just watched Todd stream the deck. He got through two rounds and quit. He got <laughs> Skylashered multiple times in both rounds, and he was just like, yeah, I, I just don't want to play this deck anymore. You know, and then, like, Mystical Dispute still just being one of the most egregious cards printed in the last, like, five to ten years. One of my least favorite of all time. Yeah, and it's just absurd against your entire deck for obvious reasons. So that's one of the things where, like, I, when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I go towards it. But then I look at the, the Bant version or even just the blue-white version of it, and having Skyclave Apparition is, like, a thing that kind of st- stands out to me. Where, like, you don't just straight up lose to, you know, Skylasher or something like that. So... But, you know, your mana base is way worse, et cetera, et cetera. You know, your deck, you know, might be worse in some ways as well. Probably doesn't curve as hard because your mana is a little bit different. But you do get Collected Company as well, which is one hell of a card. So a little give and take there on which version you want to play out of the two decks. But if I had to lean one way right now, it would be the non-mono blue version. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, you know, especially in a format where people aren't playing a lot of removal, like the Bant Spirits deck very quickly gets out of hand, and you have some curves that, you know, really put your opponent super far behind. The mana base, you know, I played this deck in the early days of Pioneer uh, at a team open once, uh, and the mana base back then was really rough. It was basically 12 Shocklands, 12 Checklands. <laughs> and I think you like trimmed on some of the the white check lands to play off my coast because you didn't have Skyclave Apparition then. 
Uh, and so you, uh, and then there was four botanical sanctums. So it, it wasn't exactly 24 of the others, but uh, it was a pretty painful mana base and it could get really awkward if you're, you know, your hand was all botanical sanctums and check lands and you didn't have, you know, at least one of those shocks. Uh, now with pathways, you know, the mana base has gotten a lot less painful, which really helps out your aggro matchup. Um, and uh, you're able to, the you know, pathways are just really powerful lands. <laughs> so, uh, and then we're starting to see, you know, Ajanjo and Ottawara. So this is, a, a, instead of some of the basics, because you really don't need that many. So you at least have a little bit of value out of your mana base, because that was another issue this deck had. It, like, you don't have a ton to do with your mana if you flood. It's really just Spectral Sailor. Uh, you know, unbeatable spectral sailor. Yeah, so, of course. That's what I say. That card's great. <laughs> yeah, even having a little bit of interaction out of that mana base with the, those two utility lands is a nice addition. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm. There, there's a lot of aggro, you know, going around right now, and that, you know, there's really a lot of everything. The mid range decks, I would classify all the, you know, both versions of Rakdos as mid range, uh, even though the the sacrifice deck is a little bit lower to the ground. It's still not super aggressive, you know. Turn one unlucky witness isn't really, you know, making anybody shake doesn't their boots. It, it doesn't inspire confidence of like, oh no, I'm going to get beat down. It's just like, well, they're they're going to do nothing for about four turns, and they're going to do everything every turn. They're going to seventeen things are going to hit the stack. I'm not going to be able to keep up anymore. Like when this deck was in paper, like right before uh, the pandemic happened, and like this was in paper, like the uh, what were they called the players tours and stuff like that. When, yeah, you know, like when regional players like, tours, right. I remember, I think it was um, some of the Canadians, you know, they were, like, getting good at this deck with, like, Corvald and stuff like that, and they brought physical representations of everything for the deck. Like, I remember um, uh, Edgar Magyash had, like, actual, like, tokens that had, like, you know, so he'd be like, okay, when I do this, like, this is going to stack, and he had tokens of, like, triggers and stuff, so he could, he could make a physical stack in real life and resolve everything correctly because you have to respond to your own stuff so much or when one thing would happen four things would trigger and you would he's like this helps my opponent and me right like there's, yeah. here's all the triggers i don't have to keep saying hey Love this that. trigger's floating Love hey this that. trigger's floating communicate yeah. clearly it's a i will say this is one of my favorite things about flesh and blood is like especially like when i play it i physically represent everything that goes along because we have a few less moving parts at times we have more to beginning and then less as the game goes on and i love that like everyone's just clearly defining everything because it's already a game of limited information right like you don't know what's in their hand and you should do everything you can to expedite the game and have it play out the way it's supposed to without obfuscating too much information from your opponent in in paper which is also illegal <laughs> like you just you just shouldn't do that. You shouldn't try to hide stuff from your opponent. Like you don't have to play for them, right? Like I'm not telling you to play for them and be like, oh well, if you don't block this, you're dead. You know, kind of thing. Like you don't have to tell them that. But at the same time, like make the game easier for everybody, and you'll have just better times. I think, you know, at some point in time, you know, I you know I grew up in Magic in the early 2000s, right? And the PTQs there in there, and you you can attest to this were cutthroat, like cutthroat and trying to get every little thing you could on somebody right now oh you missed that trigger or oh we're past that phase like literally everything possible yeah and when i moved past that i found not only did i have a better time my opponents had a better time but like i just had a better relationship with magic overall you know hey you do what you want to do but i'm just saying for me that made everything better yeah when when for those who, who don't remember this time and this is you know not even close to the peak of how cutthroat it was tannin's talking like the 2000s and and it was significantly worse then than even when i'm talking about now 
but when Avacyn Restored was released, so this was 2012, Cavern of Souls was in that set, and it was announced that the way that was going to be legislated is you had to announce that you were using colored mana. Even if you were casting a creature of the, you know, mm-hmm. um, of the appropriate type, like you had to announce it, otherwise, you, you know, your spell was counterable. Um, assuming that you could otherwise cast it. If it was your only colored source, then you could probably get away with it. Um, but, and how you know, bad of a feel-bad moment is that, right? Where you, like, tap your four yeah. lands to cast, like, a beast, right? After naming beast, whatever. Just making an example. And someone's like, counterspell it. You didn't say that you were using color. I'd be like, what? Yeah. You know, I'd just be like, what? <laughs> like, and, and obviously, like, it, you know, if you're playing a little bit too quickly, if you're under time pressure, uh, you know, that that can happen a lot. Um, and it, that, that changed after, like, a week or two, which yeah. was a, a sign that things were changing and things were getting less cutthroat. My, my other anecdote to this effect is uh, if anybody knows the card Mulder Slug in Mirrodin. Oh, boy. This is 3GG for a 4-6, and it says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, they sacrifice an artifact. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the the, exi- the only text on at it. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, they would sacrifice an artifact. Yeah, okay. I, I played the, the hell out of this card. Yeah, so. uh, obviously as a card printed in Mirrodin, uh, it saw s- some play. <laughs> there were a lot of artifacts around. It still wasn't good enough, which is the hilarious part. Yeah, it still ahead. wasn't good enough, but there was a lot of people that played this uh, Gruel deck, basically just a Gruel mid-range deck the, that was called Freshmaker. Fresh yeah, the Freshmaker? The <laughs> Freshmaker. Uh, no idea why it was called that. I'm sure someone you know, Magic Player uh, does. It's really uh, funny. That actually led me to the deck that I played a ton in that format, which I played black-green, because I actually thought while your matchup was maybe the tiniest bit, maybe the tiniest bit worse versus Affinity, which is the yeah. the like the most played deck, your matchup versus the non-Affinity decks was just way better. Like, I destroyed sure. that matchup. Like, green-black green into yeah. green-red. Or uh, Tooth and Nail was the other big deck. Yeah, because, like, I had Terror. You know, like, yeah. you, you, you'd you play, like, Mulder Slug, or, you know, they would cast, what is it, Arc Slaughter, Arc, Arc Slaughter, like, yeah. two, ma- two mana, kill it, kill you, you know, like, you know, kind of thing, so, yeah. go ahead, sorry. So, uh, uh, my first Grand Prix was summer of 2003, what was the Grand Prix? Summer of, of uh, what, what been summer of 04, summer okay. of 04. Never mind, we'll do it the hard way, sure. This <laughs> is Grand, Grand Prix New Jersey, and the format was mirrored and block constructed. You went to your first Grand Prix before I did. <laughs> nice. And uh, it w- the head judge announced during the player meeting that, you know, the penalty for not announcing a Mulder Slug trigger on both your upkeep and your opponent's upkeep, regardless of whether they had an artifact to sacrifice, wow. was a game loss. Wow. You just wanted to make sure everybody knew that if you That's had Mulder Slug horrible. in your deck. And it was on the controller of the Mulder Slug. So, like, if I'm playing, you know, Affinity, which I was, and my opponent has a Mulder Slug... I'm basically rushing through every upkeep I have uh-huh. because if I get the call, I win the game. And that is utter bullshit. Yeah. And yeah. And a lot of it came down to how well you were able to talk to a judge. <laughs> and because the judge obviously isn't there when it happens, they can't see just how much you rushed through it. But you can just say like, you know, I've been playing at this pace the entire game or my opponent, you know, is misrepresenting it and they have no idea, but they do know you drew a card. Yeah, even to more modern times, I remember I played in the Grand Prix, what is it, uh, was it like Shards, where you had morphs for the first time in forever? What, what, what um, set was that? Uh, uh, the Dragon set. Um, cons. Cons, right? They had, yeah. they had morphs, right? Yeah. And I remember um, we were talking about, it's like, there was a rule, and this, this happened from the original one, too, from the original one, where if at the end of the game you had a morph face down, 
and you like your opponents would wait for this they would like literally like you know they'd be shuffling up after the game and like kind of looking at you if you picked up your morphs didn't show the morph to your opponent like the card and then shuffled your deck you'd get a judge call and you'd get a game loss because you can't prove that the card face down in play was a morph right because you had to prove that you didn't just like hey here's a you know here's a land i'll just and never turn it up they'll potential never know for abuse there right right so the way that we got around this was um obviously you know i'm playing with sleeves anytime i would morph a card i would take it out of the sleeve so it would just be a magic card face down right with no sleeve or whatever so whenever the game's o- over even if i put it into my deck it didn't matter i could be like oh well here it is here's here's the two cards they don't even have sleeves on them because that happened once i just picked up my cards the guy's like you didn't reveal your morphs so i just immediately dropped my deck spread it out and just turned the cards over I'm like <laughs> here you here here you go you want to like you want to say that i somehow slide a handed this that's impossible <laughs> you know not that good you know kind of stuff so yeah. And th- think about a world where you have to make those considerations where you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to play around me being a dipshit and not okay. revealing my morph. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you a, of like, I'm gonna give you a look into the mind of Tan and Grace, right? Of, of how this works. There's a, you know this, but not a lot of other people know this. Is a little known fact. I'm a giant idiot. Right? Like you, you know this. this. Is true. I'm, I, I am the dumbest smart person you will ever meet. Or no, that's, smartest, that's Brandon DeCandio. So. Or the, okay, okay. <laughs> the second dumbest smart person you'll ever meet. He, he has the crown. Well, it matters how you... How you do, if, like, he can't function correctly by yeah. himself without, without like, a, a parent around. I can do that, but I will, I will make... I'm on a different level than him with other stuff, right? And so it's actually been a huge fear of mine. And, this, you know, this did actually become real once where I'm going to do something on camera once that like I can't walk back and people are going to be like oh he's a cheater like there's no way he doesn't know that he's been playing forever he's good he's like got results like you know he has to be cheating here and I'm like no I'm just a fucking idiot like I just messed up you know like I remember I was playing against Cat Light once on camera and I like win the match and I walk away and Patrick Sullivan walked like beelines to me from the thing and he's like hey you played an extra land on one of your turns and like I really wish I had a camera on my face because I'm sure I just looked utterly mortified and I'm like yeah because it's, it's, it's your nightmare right that's like an actual nightmare for players, especially if you yeah. have a camera a decent bit. I'm like, oh my god, really? And he goes, yeah, and I go, did it affect the game? And he goes, uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. He's like, but obviously whatever. So I immediately beelined the head judge. And I'm like, hey, so like I was just on camera. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're aware of the situation. We've been told what happened. And I'm like, I have a question. And they're like, what is like, if I wanted to change the result of my round... Is that something that we can do? And they were like, yeah, we got 10 minutes left on the clock. You have 10 minutes to change the result of your round or whatever. Because, like, they knew what I was trying to do. So I was like, okay. So I went and found Kat. And I told Kat, I was like, hey, it's been brought to my attention. I played an extra land in this game. And she was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, it was this turn. And I, you know, recreated the game. And she's like, okay. And I remember this. She had, like, seven lands in play. She's playing Bant Spirits, obviously. It's modern. I'm playing Tron. She has, like, seven lands in play, like, a card or two in her hand. She hasn't played anything for two turns and has no permanents other than than like her lands i have like seven lands in play so me playing the extra land was the difference between i think 13 and 15 mana or 15 and 17 mana i can't remember and like i either had like ugin or like an active walking ballista or something in play or like an oblivion stone something that's like you cannot win the game like you know what i mean like i'm just sitting here on this thing so in my mind i'm like i don't think this affected the game in any way i don't think it could have changed anything but i asked her like if you think this changed the game like, if you think this, I will concede to you immediately. And she just started laughing her ass off. She was like, hell no, I could never win that game in a million years or whatever. And so I was like, cool, went to talk to the head judge or whatever. But had it been like, 
you know, earlier in the game and it drastically changed stuff. Or like, let's say I did the thing where I thought I had Tron and I didn't. You know, we've seen that happen with people before and whatever. I would have definitely changed the changed the situation. So something like that has always like made me really scared and worried because like we're put in that situation where everything we're doing gets magnified by a little bit and I'm just an idiot. So I'm going to mess something up. If you put me on camera enough, I'm going to do something like that. Like I can't play 100% perfectly at all times, you know, like I'm a human being. So um, I suppose, have you ever done anything like that? on camera or anything um Maybe not, not that i can land. remember at least not that's been caught i would expect me to do it about 100 percent more than you so yeah. like if i've if i've done it twice you've done it once you know if i've done it once there's a chance you you haven't so i had i had one i have one camera match where there were some comments on the youtube video when i went back to watch it later where people were thought i was angle shooting and it was it was actually the finals of the Standard Open in Providence in 2014 when I'm playing Mono Blue Devotion and my opponent Gino Batista is playing Mono Red. It's um, a great name. And uh, they like, you know, I, I cast a spell, uh, and they had an idol on on the on the battlefield, and they were, you know, I, I I hold the spell out and announce it. I don't put it on the battlefield yet. Uh, wait, because I want verbal recognition from him that it resolves so that I know I've, I've got him and I don't take the two damage. And he like very quickly said, okay, and then and then moved. And I looked over at, at the judge and was like, is that okay? Like, And they said, yeah, that, that's fine. And then like the very next turn, I think I cast a Night Vale Spectre. And he said, okay, and then I just passed the turn. And all of this was verbal. But it was pretty quick because it's just casting a spell, letting it resolve and passing yeah. the turn. And, you know, he, he like moves towards his stuff to untap and that's when he sees his idol on and goes to announce the trigger and i just look over the judge again i'm like that's definitely not good not right and he's like yeah you don't get that trigger and there's there like four comments on the video that was like you know ross be, you know quick playing his opponent to get him to miss the trigger and i'm just like yeah i'm playing at a regular going. pace everything was verbally announced it's yeah. my opponent's fault like <laughs> Yeah, you're like literally like passing priority. You're like playing your spell and you're like looking at him. Yeah, like, and, and obviously like, you I'm can't waiting. hear it on the video, but I'm literally yeah. saying like resolves and I'm not putting it on the battlefield until he says okay or like acknowledges that it resolves. I have one, I don't remember the exact situation, but I have one from years and years and years ago where I'm on camera and like we do, like something happens and my opponent says something along the lines of like, oh, I can like never beat that card or whatever. Because like I have like a, uh, was it Corsor of Crufix in play? And have a card on top of my deck, like, face up. And they're like, oh, I can never beat that card. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good one or whatever. And they're just like, you know, I don't know what to say or whatever. Because I also have a Whisperwood Elemental in play. So, like, the card's actually not going to go to my hand. But, like, they forgot this. And, like, we talk for, like, a second. And then, like, um, you see them, like, draw their card. And then they concede. And everybody's like, oh, Tana didn't manifest on purpose because he wanted to draw this card because it kills his opponent. And I'm like, no, my opponent had already verbally conceded and was, like, drawing a card for his turn. Yeah. And, like, he wasn't dead. You know what I mean? And, like, I knew this. I was going to do it. But, like, we were already past that. But, like, on the camera, you can't see that. Yeah. You, know, you can't hear that. So there's been there's been situations like that where I'm like, this is going to look bad on camera. And, like, you know, some weird stuff has happened. You know, we've had some weird judge calls and stuff. So, man, we got derailed quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But that's always fun. Story time. <laughs> um, but I want to wrap up Pioneer talking about sure. two of the cool decks that I saw, uh, both combo decks. Uh, so, it, you know, we, we haven't really seen a ton of Lotus Field. There's a little bit floating around in these results. Yeah, I alluded uh, to this, what, like 30 minutes ago? <laughs> yeah. But uh, oddly, not, uh, you know, a deck I thought would be significantly more prominent in the post-ban metagame, but really, uh, I think it 
probably being held down by the prevalence of these aggressive strategies. Yeah, apparently just not that good. Yeah. 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 I always thought that, you know, it was overrated. People are just very annoyed by the card Lotus field because it's an annoying card to play against. You, you can't interact yeah, with it. So you yeah. can't interact with it at all. <laughs> um, but the, the first of these decks is from Timu, who is a, you know, that's a name I recognize. I don't know if it's, I know the person in real life, but I know yeah, that you do. Name. I can't remember who it is. It's like on the tip of my tongue, but it is a good player. You know, yeah. it is, but I can't remember. Um, okay. But 24th place in the, the first challenge, that is the bottom of the X2 bracket. Uh, oftentimes not, but uh, the, I believe in this one, 24th was an X2. Yeah. The X2 bracket actually went down to 27th in this one. So a pretty big uh, seven rounder uh, for this challenge. But this is a Jeskai Ascendancy deck that is, Unlike the one we have grown accustomed to in Pioneer, there's no green. This is straight Jeskai uh, and is using Emery and Mox Amber, uh, you know, that, that kind of loop also has one Torment script, um, to loot through its deck and make a very large Emery. Uh, also has Ledger Shredder, great card for looting through your deck, and also just an alternate win condition. Uh, if it comes to that, a couple copies of Sahili Sublime Artificer here. Uh, which I think is great for two reasons. One, you could win by going wide. In addition to going tall with Ledger Shredder, you have an alternate win con that goes wide. It's great with Jeskai Ascendancy if you just want to small ball your opponent. Uh, but it also lets you set up this loop without an, without starting the turn with an Emery on the battlefield. If you start the turn with at least, you know, any creature, whether it's a token from the Sahili or a Ledger Shredder or something, you can play Sahili during the turn or just have it on the battlefield, start making some tokens, when you finally cast and find an Emery and cast it, you can then use the minus two uh, to get one that you can start tapping and looping with Mox Amber. Um, and then the the way you really go off is with Retraction Helix. Uh, so that is you know going to let you start bouncing all of your opponent's creatures to get all their blockers out of the way in case you need to win with a big Emery. Um, you know, or if they have some creature that is stopping you from casting spells, you can use Retraction Helix early to do, you know, you know, get rid of a Thalia or some sort of hate bear like that. Uh, so a really cool deck. Um, you know, Emery, because of the Emery's, it's playing an art, you know, pretty artifact heavy theme. We've got Terrarian in place of us, of like Opt, because there's a, a still consider here. Uh, portable hole and glass casket as interaction. So you can play a little bit of an interaction, interactive game. And then, of course, Dig Through Time. And I think Ledger Shredder is really critical here because if you're playing this heavy artifact, you know, plan, you don't have as many cantrips. Your Dig Through Times are much worse. And Dig Through Times is obviously an amazing card in this deck. Ledger Shredder and that conniving really helps you tear through your deck and fill your graveyard so you can cast your digs on time. So a very cool looking Jeskai Ascendancy list. Um, not, you know, sold on how, you know, how great it is. But if people aren't killing your Emery's and Ledger Shredders, you can definitely do some damage here. Uh, yeah, this is one of those decks when I look at it, I'm just like, I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> like, this hurts my brain. But it's definitely a big this, brain I'm deck. Just like, I'm just like, here you go. God, I hate that you said that right when I was about to say, here you go, Ross, like when <laughs> I see this deck. Because, like, I'm not going to lie, I've seen you play decks like this before, they've been great, but I've also played team events sitting next to you where you've played decks like this, and every time I look over, you do 17 things, but you do actually nothing. Yeah, that deck turned out to be a trap. Yeah, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a, but, yeah, these decks are definitely cool. They're just not my jam. But, like, you don't know, uh, Brent likes the complicated, you know, a lot of moving part decks uh, as well, especially in modern when it comes to like this. So, like, maybe he'd like this deck a little more to me, and I know you do as well. But it is nice seeing some representation of these decks in the format because, like, you need these to be there somewhere. 
you know, like on the fringes and stuff. You can't just be all these mono creature decks because then all of a sudden we're going to get like it was uh, a couple months ago where blue white is just the best deck. Like Supreme Verdict's the best thing you could be doing, you know? Yeah. And it, you can legitimately kill on turn three with this deck. I don't 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 go through it. I'll I'll trust you. It's, I trust it's, you. It's, I it's easy. So turn one, you play an artifact, quote unquote easy, right? Okay, sure. Turn one, any one mana artifact. Turn two, mm-hmm. you play an emery. You I'm, I'm uh, and then turn three, you play Jeskai Ascendancy. And if between your hand and your graveyard, you have two Mox Ambers, you live through. Your deck. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I can keep <laughs> up with that. I, all right, sure. <laughs> you need to hit a lot of Mox Ambers. But yes. yeah, so that's a, that's a card that was on our original. Remember when we were talking about uh, the Pioneer podcast when we first started oh, yeah. it, and the cards that were like on our watch list. Mox Amber was one of the cards, and like that thing has just been. I mean, Kethis got banned, but like other than that, like that thing has just been. Eh, I, I think there'll there'll be a day maybe where it's not okay. Yeah, but like, I, I would say of the cards that were on that watch list, I think the only ones that haven't been banned are the Delve spells and Mox Amber. Yeah, and the Delve spells have been teetering I mean, on the edge. <laughs> yeah, you've seen a lot of discourse of it like lately, where people are like, you know, the format looks a lot different. Like we just take the like so, some people are other thing that these cards are heinous. There's like the games in which they're cast are just drastically different, and maybe we should get into the other ones. Are like, no, no, like they're 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 like the brainstorm of the format. You know, like it's it's a card that just has to be there yeah. for this format. So I can see both sides or whatever. So what was the, the uh, second deck you wanted to uh, talk about? The second one is from the uh, the earlier challenge. This is tenth place from that one. That's by LBBL, and this is an is it indomitable creativity deck that yeah, this one's sweet is. Uh, you know, you know the the modern list that I championed for a while. I lo- I liked because it was also a good control deck, and I think this deck also has that aspect going on mm-hmm. because the creature you're hitting, one of your favorites, Tannen, is a Torrential Gearhulk. Yeah, one of my favorite cards ever printed in Magic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely love this card. Uh, Fat Caster Mage, as a lot of us call it. Yeah, so we've got like our 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 sensors and considers and cheap interaction like Fiery Impulse, uh, and then Dig Through Time that can help set up this combo. And then you're getting tokens from Magma Opus, which is great because you can, you know, make the treasure token early, creativity the treasure token into a Gear Hulk, then cast the Magma Opus with the Gear Hulk trigger. And so it's all wrapped up in one little package. We've got Prismari Command that makes tokens and also gives some interaction. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, aka the best red card ever printed, apparently. Yeah. Uh, you know, it makes, just, makes tokens. Yeah, also it's awesome with creativity. It makes a million tokens. It loots away and finds your creativity. Or if you're on the control plan, you can just loot away some creativities and draw more interaction and cast these gear hulks naturally. So Fable and Prismari Command really let you. Uh, sort of cater your draw to the kind of game you want to be playing based on the the you know specific conditions of that game. Do I want to be more of a control deck or more of a combo deck? I'm able to do that. And then a couple of copies of Shark Typhoon here, great card for a control deck, and you know makes a token for creativity, so uh, very easily fits. So I really I really like how clean this deck is. The fact it's that so clean, yeah, yeah. The fact that creativity is there, but you're not at all dependent on it, is really really cool. Uh, you know, you're able to do some really busted things with Torrential Gear Hulk. Like, can you imagine turns where you like put two Gear Hulks into play off of Creativity and cast like Magma Opus plus Dig Through Time? You're not losing that game. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's just never happening. And and I just noticed this that uh, Fable of the 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 Mirror Bro- what is the actual Mirror Breaker Reverse Side card called? Uh, give me one second. Yeah, you can copy it. Yeah, you can copy it. Torrential Gear Hulk with it. Mm-hmm. The other side is reflection. Yeah, reflection. Yeah, the reflection. 
uh, oh yeah, and then we have the Sokinsons and the Mana Base that just make two tokens on curve with creativity. Yeah, this is something you and I talked about when we were talking about uh, this set coming into standard and coming into pioneer and you know you and i talked about how like everyone was, was down on Sokazin as like the worst of the of the lands and i remember saying i was like i actually don't think it's the worst because of the card indomitable creativity yeah you're able to just go like you know turn one fire impulse your thing turn two censor your play turn three like prismari command turn four okay you get to like pull ahead with something i'll channel the Sokazin. turn five double creativity you know Maybe turn three, you play Prismari Command, and you loot away, putting Magma Opus and Dig Through Time in your graveyard just to set it up. <laughs> and you're just, you know, uh, you know, completely obliterating your opponent. So this is a deck that really, you know, has the capability of going super far over the top, um, but can play that small ball control game. I love the versatility. This is a deck that I would try out if I was playing Pioneer right now. Yeah, I, it, this deck definitely, like, talks to me for multiple reasons right like obviously torrential girl hook like right and so like that but it's like you said this is the cleanest deck in the format and when we say that it's just because we're looking at the list and while there are some non-four ofs it's just a bunch of four ofs most of all all the other lists are like you know one of this two of that three of this and it's just like this list is just super clean just a whole bunch of four ofs and then the sideboard is four four three it's like an old school sideboard you know from back in the day I, I think I'd want some, like, Anger of the Gods or, you know, some sort of sm sw small ball sweeper with all these aggro decks around. But mm -hmm. I guess, like, that kind of card isn't that good against a lot of the aggro decks. Like, it's not very good against Mono nah, Blue. I think it's, it can be good against Spirits, but sometimes so, if they get enough, you know, Lords down, it's not good. So I was thinking about the same thing, right? And the fact that I was looking at this and I was like, it has the four Fiery Impulses main. And I was looking at the sideboard, I was like, I wonder if there's any more targeted removal in the sideboard for the aggro deck matchup. Now, here's the thing I started thinking about with it. I was like, it kind of makes sense to me that they don't have, quote-unquote, other, like, you know, another shock bolt variant kind of card. But they do have a three of a, a fry. And here's why I think this is important. I do think that, like, blue-eye control could be a, a deck that gives you a little bit of a problem because of the fact that, like, you can't rely on Domino Creativity as a thing. You become this really weird red-blue flash deck in that matchup where, like, you're trying to resolve... Torrential Gear Hulks or like just resolve Fable of Mirror Breaker and hope that's good enough from there because you don't really have a lot of ways to pressure them other than like your lands when it comes to this stuff and you can maybe just like bury them in mana but like I'm not even sure you know it's going to be a weird thing where like you need to cast a Gear Hulk at the end of the turn have them counter it untap and either cast another Gear Hulk or you indomitable creativity to them or you just start casting Magma Opus and then try to cast them seven times during a game but the thing is with Fry this gives you something that, like, you can point at some of these. You don't have to use, like, your one uh, counterspell to stop one of their Planeswalkers. Fry can help you out with that. But also, Fry doubles as, like, the extra removal spells against one of the other or two of the other aggro decks that can give you problems in this format in the Spirits versions. Mono Blue or Bant Spirits is a deck that can play at the same kind of, you know access that you can with a bunch of like incense and stuff and play on that weird thing so now you have another you have fire impulse plus fry is like just keep hitting your stuff you know in prismari commands to keep yourself alive long enough to find that good spot to, to get stuff in and then against the decks like mono red like it's just a race right like you're just trying to cast indomitable creativity on turn four so like if you cast fiery impulse at all or prismari command at all to kill something and keep yourself alive i think you're in a pretty good spot the the one deck I think I'd be really worried about out of, the, out of the aggro decks with this one is I feel like the red-white aggro deck that we were talking a lot about at the beginning could give this deck fits because if it has like 
the one of, I mean, if you have, you know, one removal spell, like, right, you have your Prismari Commander, you have your Fiery Impulse, that's not going to be good enough to stop them from beating you down like crazy. Yeah. You know what? I, I look at the stack and I think, my mana base is too good. If my mana base is too good, just a bunch of dual hands? Yeah, why, why can't we just play this as a Jeskai deck and get, like, Supreme Verdict Ugh. in our deck? Ugh. We, you even have the treasures to, Ugh. to figure it out. No, thank you. Um, I think you can just. This could just be a Jeskai control deck. Yeah, but like, what else are you playing white for? Like, no, 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 thank you. Like, that's a it's a double white spell that like, I don't know if you need it. Like, I would play this deck straight up the way it is against and play against creature decks and see if you actually need that kind of effect first. You could you could probably play some like March of Purifying Lights so that you can deal with weird permanents. You could play, um, you know, there's. I don't know. Maybe there's like a white planeswalker that makes tokens that you'd want. Uh, that's like maybe better than Shark Typhoon or something. Like, oh yeah, like a you know the busted one, the Wandering Emperor. Yeah, the busted yeah. one. Yeah, the one that's <laughs> yeah broken. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, now that you mention it, there are like almost no Wandering Emperors in these top eights besides the blue white decks, and like that card's that card's insane, obviously. Well, but like, well, it's because Wandering Emperor is a, is secretly a, a reactive card. Like that, it, it's not good if you're only playing it one way. And the aggro decks aren't interested in the removal that it provides because the removal is so reactive. And so the control decks are the only decks that are able to play it in both modes, really, being an aggressive card and a defensive card. And it actually provides the control decks this sort of aggressive capability that they didn't have before. Uh, makes it makes them harder to play against. So it's it's definitely you know, fitting in those decks a lot better than it is any, anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, those are really good points. But... Yeah, I think I would straight up play this deck as red-black, I mean red-blue, sorry. Uh, talking about white off the top doesn't really excite me, but it's one of those things, like, I would have to play it a bunch and see. And the funny thing is, is like, I really want to sleeve this up, like, right now. Like, <laughs> this is a nice one. Yeah, I've got I've got some nice gear hulks to put to put into my deck, too. Um, so that about does it for what we want to talk about with Pioneer. Modern, pretty similar storyline as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the four-color deck has really been the premier deck in the format since the ban of Luris, and this was a really bad weekend for it. There's, I think there's three copies across both of them in the X2 brackets. There might be a couple more near the bottom of the standings, but that's out of a, like 40-something deck lists that were X2 or better in these two top 32s. You know, uh, three there is not particularly good. That's, you know, about one in 15, like 7%. So I've heard some people talk about this and, you know, for like Mason Clark and some of the people talking about this on, and I say heard, I've read some, read some people talking about this on Twitter and I can't remember exactly why they said it, like what their reasoning was, but they said that while this is the best deck in modern, it won't put up as good a results online as it does in paper. And I wonder if there's like some, something to it of like some people can't afford this deck online. It's like not rentable from the 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 rent of the rent services like you just it's worth a bajillion dollars right yeah you know it's the most expensive deck by a wide margin and i wonder if it has something to do with that or maybe just like the format's slightly different than what you'd see in paper and i will say this every tournament that i've been to in paper i've watched like the the good players playing this i feel like they can never lose in any of their matchups so I, I i definitely can get behind what they're saying i need to reach out to mason and have him explain it to me like maybe do the whole like hey talk to me like i'm a five-year-old explain this to me and then yeah and then I'll, I'll report back ross yeah i i agree with with that analysis i think while while mono green is i think objectively just falling and standing uh, in the pioneer metagame still good 
uh, but not, you know, the dominant deck that it looked like a couple, a couple of weeks ago. The four-color deck, I don't think, is falling in any sort of objective sense. I think it's, you know, I agree, price is going to suppress it online. Also, in uh, tournaments like these, you know, the, the challenges, people aren't as willing to, like, shell out to play the absolute best deck. You know, they're, they're, they're willing to play... Uh, worse decks if, if it saves them a significant amount of money. So it suppresses them even more in these tournaments. I think if you played like the the showcase challenges or big PTQ on Moto, you would see more people saying like, oh, I've got to play the 4C deck for the higher profile event, uh, and, and same in paper. I also think we're at a point where it's been the best deck for several months at this point, and people are just kind of getting bored of it. <laughs> and that's, that's a big thing too, right? Like, diversity is... Not just for diversity's sake. Sometimes you just fucking get tired of playing the same deck. I have cussed a lot today. I apologize, to everybody at home. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. So I you know we're seeing some. You know, people try some oddball stuff. There's a Rakdos deck in second in one of these challenges. It's playing. You know, that kind of grief, undying malice uh, thing, but also playing Fury with it. Uh, and that kind of Rakdos midrange shell. We've got an Urza. You know, Azorius Urza deck with Thopter Sword. Uh, there's definitely still a lot of Is it? People love that. I, my favorite deck in fifth place in uh, the first challenge from Sandpop is another creativity deck, this time Grixis, with a... So it's it's one of the Archon of Cruelty builds, but its backup plan, instead of being heavily interactive, it's really just playing a little bit of removal and Thoughtseize, its backup plan is being a, a reanimator yeah, deck. Yeah. Four copies of Persist here, and then four copies of Tainted Indulgence alongside your Prismari commands that enable creativity, and then four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So those 12 cards are sort of your enablers. There's no um, unmarked graves, which I re- or there's one. There's one unmarked grave, which I, which I like. I, I could even see zero, um, just because it, it's a pretty weak card, uh, and you, you'd rather just get your Archons in the graveyard naturally. Uh, while having a card that is, you know, doing something else effective, whether it's, you know, killing a creature, making creatures of its own, or in Tainted Indulgence's case, drawing a couple extra cards. So uh, this is, I think, a, a pretty cool deck. We still have the Dwarven Mine mana base. Um, so you're able to set up the Indomitable Creativity with just land drops if you need to. Uh, I think that's a really important part of, of Creativity decks in Modern, uh, and this maintains that. And, uh, you know, being only three colors really helps your mana base. You know, my thing is the cards that attracted me to the four color creativity deck are were Ren and Six and Teferi, and this version has neither of them. So I'm skeptical on that front, but it's a sweet deck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, I always like kind of these decks where you take two ish decks and you kind of like just mash them together. I call it the Jerry Thompson. You know, he was kind of known for this. I've done it myself a couple times as well. Uh, not to as much success as he has, obviously. But and honestly, I like a good Grixis deck. But this deck looks sweet. Also, it's, it's you know, it's got one of your cards in there, Tainted Indulgence. I know you uh, you were yeah. big on this one when it got printed and stuff. So it's nice to see it kind of like having a moment to shine. But <clears throat> and I love that you know Ross and an Indomitable Creativity deck. Name a more iconic duo. At yeah, this point, that, that might be my thing. next thing. I was Rakdos guy for a while. I might be Creativity guy. I think you are. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, the, the the hits keep coming here if we look at these results. There's a calibrated blast deck in the top eight of one of them, actually in the top four. We've seen a sort of reemergence of shadow since the printing of Ledger Shredder. Um, I've talked to Corey a little bit about this. You know, he thinks the deck is good, and if he thinks it's good, it probably is, uh, because he's the shadow guy now. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, we're seeing a bunch of Cascade decks. Uh, I know there's a lot of hype recently about Living End as being one of the better decks against Four Color. Uh, but here we're seeing a lot of Crashing Footfalls. It won one of the challenges. Uh, has another top eight to go along with it. Um, you know, we're seeing a good amount of... Um, um, I'm literally... St- Yogmoth. I'm literally staring at the deck list. I'm like, I know it's one of the cards. <laughs> I just couldn't find it. Um, you know, the, that's you know long been held as one of those sort of, sort of underrated and underplayed decks in the format because it's so off-ball um, and, and plays in a very specific way. So a lot of diversity here. I think it's a bit of a mirage. I think you know once we see some bigger modern events, you'll see it return to that hierarchy where four color is pretty dominant, and the decks that can hang with four color the best are the ones that are uh, you know next up uh, there because there the it doesn't seem like you can really get underneath four color or go over the top of it. I mean, we saw something similar, you know, with the mocks recently. Like, I think it was, uh, you know, it's, it's a smaller tournament. That you you expect people to play the best deck because they're so heavily incentivized to win. And in that format, you know, there's a lot of four-color. And we saw some people play Valakut, like actual, just factual Valakut, which apparently has a decent uh, matchup against four-color because, like, they can't kill you before you just Valakut the shit out of them. Yeah, whatever. They, that's so, a deck that actually does go over the top of them. So that, yeah. that makes sense. I wish you could go underneath these decks, but solitude and fury mean that you just can't. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really like I, you know, you you and I talked about this. I feel like about six months ago, we were talking about the the possibility that like maybe fury needed to go out of the format because of the fact of what this does, right? Like you know, you look at these decks that like, and that's one of the things you know when you look at the the four color deck, you're like, yeah, it's good because all the decks are all the cards are good, but like you think about it, right? Like these decks trying to go underneath it, you just like if you ever draw a fury and a red card, like. All of your cards replace themselves, so two for one of yourself is kind of a joke. Like you don't care. You know, at some point you're going to draw four or five cards in a turn with uh with Yorion and stuff. So I think the real way to kind of put this deck in its place is just take Yorion out of the format, and I think it's something we're going to get to eventually. Yeah, Yorion really is the card that gives them a lot of inevitability, um, and you know, without it, they would have to change how their deck is constructed and add more you know sources of card advantage, so they still had that strength going along. Um, and, uh, you know, those cantrips also provide early consistency. Like, they could play, I guess, like, things like Consider or whatever. Um, and, uh, but, like, the, those but it would not be nearly as good without knowing that you're sort of getting to reuse them. Like, Abundant Growth looks like a, a cantrip. In this deck, it's generally one mana draw two. You just have to wait, like, eight turns for the second, uh, the second draw. So... Yeah, I think removing Yorian would honestly be great for the format. I think we're at the point where everyone hates companions and wants to see the, you know... All my all my homies hate companions. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the, the only one that I think has seen significant play without becoming egregious is Obosh. So, like, o- apparently Obosh is the ideal companion. It's fair. Yeah. So, all you lonely people out there, give Obosh a call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, it seems like the formats are, like, quote-unquote figured out, but not really. So we'll have to see. I do think that uh, out of the two, Modern does seem a little more stale, in my opinion, with, like, Four Color just being the thing to do. Well, Pioneer, I think we're going to see some possible shakeups in the next few months. We'll see what happens when uh, we're incentivized to win a lot coming up very soon. Yeah, I don't think, you know, I don't think we're done in terms of exploring that format, um, and... You know, and there's certainly a lot of more more tuning to do there. So, definitely the more interesting of the two right now to me. Like, mm-hmm. if, if I had the choice of playing Pioneer or Modern this weekend, 
I would snap off Pioneer. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say, I actually, I'm going to be playing Magic in a tournament setting very soon. We have a team tournament going on locally at my at my LGS where the format is uh, modern, uh, sealed with whatever the set's going to be. I, I assume it's this set. Yeah. And you know what the third format is? Uh, Flesh and Blood. Yeah, it's Flesh and Blood. Yeah, and I remember uh, you telling me this. I pay attention when you listen, when you talk sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. So Brian Basoko is going to be my Flesh and Blood player. I'm going to be sealed. And, uh, you know, we have another local player who's going to be playing modern. He's just going to be playing four color. I was like, yeah, just just play four color. Dex insane. It's really, really good. You're good at it, etc. So uh, I'm looking forward to playing some, slinging some spells in a uh, in a competitive format and stuff. So we got some of that stuff coming up. But um, I wanted to make sure that we get some of this stuff covered in the in the the show today we're not anywhere near done we have a few more things we wanted to cover but i want to make sure that we do shout out our sponsor <clears throat> excuse me sorry the, the cough was coming on i was trying not to and that's a uh, bear stern man that's man of two ends make sure you check him out bearsternman.com uh one of the things i've been really obsessed with lately for obvious reasons has been their hand soap big big fan of their hand soap it's got you can get a little bit of sense to it but it's nothing too like overwhelming and i feel like you don't need a ton of it you know what i mean it's got and they come a little I'm a big fan of, uh, this, there's no way to say this without sounding the slightest bit dirty, but it comes on like the little squirt bottles. You know, it's like the bottle sits there and it has like the little knob at the top. You just push down on it and it comes out or whatever. Yeah, you made it like, sound more dirty by saying knob. Yeah, of course, right? But like I've bought, you know, hand sanitizer and stuff before where like you have to like unscrew the top or like you have to like, you know, un, un, like you have to open the top and then like squeeze the bottle and it comes out. I'm like, I don't want any of that. I just want to push the button on the top of it, have it like, Go into my hands while I'm underneath the sink, and I can like wash my hands. For some reason, like that makes my life better. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like a very small thing, but that just makes my life way better when it comes to it. So I love that stuff. Uh, obviously, the shaving products. I, I can't rave enough about the the shaving butter and the aftershave, and also having like the the brush that comes along with it. Uh, holidays are coming up very soon. You got birthdays coming up. You got stuff like that. Makes great gifts. Make sure you check it out. Bearsterandman.com. Ross, what's the code? MTG Rants 2022 for 15% off at your order at checkout. So make sure you check them out. Um, now, we did have uh, a couple of uh, questions in our mailbag. I want to make sure that we get those today because I remember them being good. So let's make sure we get these two. That's better um, than having first, bad questions. Well, I mean, there, there are no bad questions. Oh, there definitely are. Okay, sure. None of them are in gonna... our mailbag because our Discord is very smart yeah, and dead yeah. and handsome. Yeah. Uh, this is from Matty J. And uh, I love that they brought up this. So they said, is the Richard Kane Ferguson art for Grim Flayer enough to make it playable? Ross, I'll let you go first, because I've obviously got a lot to talk about here. I have no idea what they're talking about. So Grim Flayer is in Double Masters, and Double Masters has Richard Kane Ferguson art in it. Uh, for those who don't know, but while Ross Googles this, for those who don't know, Richard Kane Ferguson is my favorite artist in Magic and has my favorite artwork of all time in Magic, which is Dak and Blackblade. Um... Dak and Blackblade is a very good choice, by the way. Yeah. Um, I'm aware. Yeah, the Grimflayer art is, is cool or whatever. I don't know. They Come on. Y'all should know that I really don't care about art. That's not on basic lance. Let me like actually answer the question, then, since you're going to be... Since you're going to be a curmudgeon about it. Um, I'm actually going to answer this with a yes or no, and then expand why. I'm, I'm going to say no. Because Unless your name is Brennan DeCandio, in which case you would yeah. play Grimflayer regardless he, of the art. He actually messaged me when the, the the art came out with the Richard Kane Ferguson art. He was like, it is my sole thing left to do in life is to make this card playable one last time. Right? Like, <laughs> like one of the things that he, he's like, he's like, get you a trophy, make this playable one last time. Um, I don't think the new art makes it playable. And I'm going to say something pretty, uh, so probably surprising for people at home. 
I'm not a fan of the art. I'm not a fan of, of a lot of the Richard Kane Ferguson art in this set. It just doesn't hit for me the way that a lot of his other art is and how much I liked it and how much I, I do like it. So uh, I'm going to go with no. Uh, I'm surprisingly kind of off the Richard Kane Ferguson art in the set, which hurts to say. Great artist. Just uh, to me personally, it feels like a slight miss on some of them. I think it's just a little too noisy. We look at his art. Like, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on. It looks a little... It's hard to explain. But versus his early stuff, I like the early stuff better. I sound like a... You know, I'm talking about a band or something. Like, yeah, their, their early stuff was great before they sold out. You know, kind of stuff. <laughs> so, whatever. Uh, I'm a hipster Richard Kane Ferguson fan, apparently. And then, um, I like this question a lot. This is from uh, Raven Christ. What are your go-to sleeves for cards, Ross? Uh, BCW Deck Guard Elite 2s. All right, so I'm going to answer this multiple ways. Mulberry my, colored. Yeah, mulberry is the nut. So uh, if I have my 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 local, my LGS doesn't carry them, so if I have my choice, it is the Deck Guard Elite 2s. And I am not, hashtag Ross sponsored, hashtag Tannen not sponsored. They are still my favorite sleeve in the market. Um, I remember we were paid to play with the first ones. The first ones left a lot to be desired. They left a lot wanting. They were not as good. The, the Series 2, the ones that we're talking about now, the ones that you buy when you buy BCW sleeves, I think are 100% improved, and f- dollar for dollar, like pound for pound, I think they actually are the best sleeve on the market. Yeah. I, I don't I, think it's actually debatable. I think in a direct comparison, they are a smidge worse than Dragon Shields, but it is honestly not a, a large difference, and they are much cheaper. Yeah, they're like 3 to $4 cheaper per like 100 which yeah. you just buy three of them, you've now gotten a free one at this point so you know like you do what you will with that information um if you're a person that like you know obviously with with not many tournaments around these days uh, you know my my sleeve usage has plummeted yeah, it's way but down in 2015 i was probably going through you know cases of sleeves a year it, it, it adds up the biggest endorsement i can ever give for these sleeves is the year where i played you know almost the year i played a ton of the opens right where we played all the team opens and everything I sleeved up my legacy deck, like the that the year before that, while we played a couple of opens. I sleeved up my legacy deck with a set of Mulberry or whatever color uh, elite deck guard twos. I never resleeved them the entire year. I played the same sleeves, and we made what like five or six top eights. So I got deck checked at least every one of those tournaments, and they were always like, "Yeah, your sleeves are fine." Never had to replace them. Shuffled the deck a ton. The sleeves, the sleeves are tanks. They're yeah, great. The sleeves are They're definitely amazing. tanks. They actually. Right out of the pack, they're thick enough that uh, riffle shuffling is a little tough. Like you, you actually have to break the sleeves in a you little bit. Break them in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that does mean that like they they last a while. And you know, when I say they're slightly worse than than dragon shields, that's just talking about the actual quality of the sleeve. And the mulberry color is literally the best color sleeve I have ever seen. It is awesome. And- yeah, and to get maybe like one or two little uh, little bitty extra things. So like, I actually have played a decent bit with Dragon Shields lately because of Flesh and Blood. Like, there's a direct, uh, like Flesh and Blood is a sponsored by Dragon Shield, and they make actual Flesh and Blood sleeves. Like, you can you can go to an, an LGS and buy f- uh, buy Dragon Shield sleeves that have Flesh and Blood art on them. Like, you know, you can't do that for Magic, right? You can't do that for other games. So it's like really cool, and I've been using those a little bit, and. I kind of was like, yeah, I kind of missed this, but at the same time, like, I wasn't like, yeah, this is better. You know, it wasn't like drastically different or et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was just, it, it, they're good. And then uh, for whenever I'm like storing cards, 
I'm not a big perfect fit guy. I'm actually a pretty decent fan of uh, the penny sleeves, if you know what I'm talking about. So I like penny sleeves for just for just keeping cards and stuff. Tannen on the side. What's up? I have breaking news. I just saw you put your hands in the air. What happened? The Jazz have hired a head coach. I, I figured as much. I I honestly like, didn't have strong feelings about who it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I just wanted a coach before free agency started. I thought going into free agency without having a coach was ridiculous. Um, and uh, I'm glad they, they got it done in time. Um, they are hiring Will Hardy, who is an assistant for or, uh, Boston. He's very young. He's like 34 years old. I'm a fan of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. So they're going for an unproven guy. Um, he is very well liked. He was in uh, San Antonio, I think. And like he was one of Pop's like favorite guys. Mm-hmm. So he's part of the Pop tree, oh, just like Quinn was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and young guy. So I'm pretty excited about this. I think that's a good hire. Uh, and he's super young. Hopefully, you know, when they hired Quinn, I was like, I hope Quinn is here for 20 years like Sloan was. That didn't happen, um, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but you know, if they were, if Quinn was going to leave, I think getting uh, getting Hardy is nice. And I'm just glad that this is over. Yeah, that you, you actually have somebody. Yeah, yeah I can, we have, I can we have a coach now. They can talk to players, and the coach will like tell them this is where I, where I like expect your role. Yeah, he's 34. He's going to be the youngest active coach in the NBA. Nice. Speaking of crazy coaches, things and stuff that are going on like this. Did you by any chance see what happened in Major League Baseball, the coach yesterday? Like a very strange thing happened that I think we're going to start seeing more of in the future. See what happened to the Minnesota Twins pitching coach? Uh, he went to LSU. Yeah, he just quit in the middle of a season and is going to be the coach at LSU. Like obviously I saw this more because of the LSU thing. Yeah. But like he's going to be making over double. He made like I think 350000 a year coaching for Minnesota. He's making I think like eight to $900,000 uh, coaching for LSU. The season is dramatically shorter way less travel and like the, the cool thing about coaching in college versus coaching for the pros if you're a decent enough coach you're there for a very long time so you can actually like have a family put it in, this, in one spot and have to move around while like if you're not the upper echelon of like you know you're not bobby cox right you're not joe tory or something like that you're not staying in the same place for 10 or 15 years you get like three or four years and then most of the time you they, they move on to the next guy you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And so he's getting paid more, travels less, and probably has more job security. And this is a guy, this is a guy that like had some pretty good bona fides. Like a lot of people were like pretty big on this guy. So this happened like mid season and the players didn't find out about this. And like people didn't find out about this until it was like announced. And like they found out about it on the plane while they were like flying to their next series, which is kind of crazy that this happens in the in the middle of a season. Like, I've never heard of anything like this before. And I think this might be something that you see more of in the future. And it's just, if you follow LSU Athletics, which, you know, I do over the last about three or four years, they've made a big push for this of like, look, we've got a lot of money. We're a very good destination to go to, whether you just want to win or you want your stepping stone to go to the majors or, you know, the professional levels. This is the place that you, one of the places you want to go. So they've just been trying to have like, absurd absurd coaches on all the sports and stuff now and with this and our hiring of our head coach from the Arizona State last year for baseball I think you're going to see this possibility of like another dynasty start to come out of Louisiana like they did like they were in the 90s and early 2000s so be yeah. fun to watch that's smart yeah, if you- and if that's a thing that like coaching is so notoriously fickle 
that if you can offer stability, you know, especially for somebody that has a family, that's a that that's just a huge selling point. Like, yeah. you know, we got to realize like, I, that the, these people are you know human beings. <laughs> yeah, like the crazy part is, is like if you think about it, like if those were selling points, right? Like the family thing, the job security, the less travel and stuff, you would think he'd even take slightly less money yeah, to go to LSU and leave Minnesota. But instead he took double. And I'm like, this is one of those things where you're just like, wait, what, where do I sign? Where's, where's the contract? Put it in front of me, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, kind of nuts thing. I hope we see more of that. Like, while I don't like, you know, coaches leaving the middle of seasons, I, th- I think this is something we're going to be seeing a little bit more in the future. Teams really, especially colleges, really emphasizing on like that. What's the right way I want to put this? Like that family kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? There's having a coach because you, you've heard me talk about this when LSU has gone through a bunch of coaches in the last 10 years. We've had like three different coaches for a team that perennially contends for a national title. That's kind of unheard of. And uh, you've heard me say that, like, I don't care who it is as long as it's somebody that's going to stay for 10 or 15 years. And is like by that yeah. I mean like I want that kind of quality of a coach, and then a guy that like creates a kind of Envi- what's the word I'm looking culture for? and environment. Yes, yes, a culture and environment of winning, and like this is what you're getting when you come yeah. here. Co- coaching stability is super valuable, and it, yeah, it's, it's underrated you know, for sure. It's long been known that the easiest thing to do is like you know, to generate excitement is like get a new coach. And but if you notice, it's like it's always the bad franchises that have a new coach every other year. Like the Sacramento Kings have had like 30 coaches in the last 20 years. They haven't made the playoffs since 2004 like, or something like that. 2006, maybe. And, you know, but Greg Popovich has been there since 1996. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get a few overrated, underrated in, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, this one is from – we got a backlog of these. We kind of missed on, on a little bit. But, all right, Cathal says fried food. I'm going to go with overrated for the majority of the time. Like, if it's something you eat all the time, obviously it's just bad for you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But – and I'm not saying I'm ideal or anything, but, like, I don't eat it very often. But when I do, oh, God, it's fucking good. <laughs> you know, so uh, underrated in – Proper usage, overrated in, uh, underrated in, uh, like, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, when you don't have it all the time. I literally yeah. just blanking on words. In, I can't uh, think. You know, periodic, not periodic, but like, uh, I can like, occasional. I can, yeah, occasionally it's it's properly rated or underrated, but majority, majority yeah, of the time you overrated. You definitely have too much, you can have too much of anything, yeah. but fried yeah. food is delicious. I made arancini yesterday. Yeah, I saw They're the pictures. It's amazing. Yeah, it looked amazing. Incredible. So, what's what's your uh, what's your answer? Uh, underrated fried food is great. Obviously, you can have too much of it. I I will also say like it it doesn't keep well or reheat well, which mm-hmm. is a problem with it. That's a very big problem. You have to have some kind of oven involved. Yeah, making it at home is is probably a little overrated. I still it's have dishes to do. Way <laughs> too many steps in like seventeen dishes. Yeah, when we're when we're done with this, I'm going to put a quiche in the oven and then do dishes. <laughs> yeah, I have so many dishes to do right now. I'm so behind. And so, right, so yeah, blue. ordering it at a restaurant much better than mm-hmm. making it yourself. Big Blue says seasoning on a cut of steak. Hmm. It's it's probably underrated. People need to season things more. <laughs> uh, you need a lot of seasoning on a, on a good I cut of steak, like way more salt than you yeah. think. So I don't eat a ton of steak, and I only generally eat it like. At the higher end stuff, you know, like I'm going to an actual steakhouse or like I'm eating it in like Vegas or something like that. So like I feel like they do the less is more thing right there. They just like prepare it perfectly. It's really well done. Yeah. Not when I say seasoning, I don't mean like Montreal steak seasoning and shit yeah. that people want to put like it. No, th- this one's that stuff's overrated. 
Like, yeah, that's if, it's a good, if it's a good piece of meat, just salt, pepper is fine. Yeah, but S&P you need a large quantity of it. Like you put that steak on a plate and you you know season generally generously on both sides, and then you take the steak and like jam the sides of it into the seasoning that's left sear. on the plate. Yeah, sear. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, okay. before you that, sear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Like you season all the way around, even even across the the edge of it. And because you, you need that salt and the pepper to penetrate into the, you know, center regions of the steak so that it's seasoned all the way through. I love that the, the vegetarian on the, on the cast is talking about how to cook steaks great. But yeah. yeah. I was also the person last week that got the interstate highway question at Trivia. <laughs> and I'm the one who doesn't drive. They yeah, like exactly. ask what highway runs from New York sure. to San Francisco. I, I wouldn't. Know. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's 80. And they're all like coming up with different things. I'm like, guys, I'm pretty sure that's 80. It's the yeah, one that I... runs through Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I was just right. Sure. All right. So uh, Britt Wagner says covers of songs. Underrated. I actually I love covers of songs. I 100% agree with you. Joe says duvet covers. Uh, overrated. Any like additional things on furniture that you have to deal with? Like, I have two throw pillows on the couch. That's all I need. I'm like thinking just a little bit. Like, I'm gonna go with um, the the bigger, thicker ones. Overrated. The ones that are like more for show. Yeah. And the ones that like are more for practicality. I'm gonna say underrated because I'm actually more a blanket guy. Like, I actually like sleeping with like blankets and covers and stuff. So I don't know. Uh, Fuzzy Dan says news coverage. I'm gonna go with massively overrated because it sucks. Most yeah, of the time. it actively makes you less informed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stall <laughs> says having a beer slash alcohol at the airport. Uh, overrated. It's just so expensive. As I'll say, overrated for your wallet. Um, yeah. Depending on the flight, underrated. But I will say, this, I've gotten on a flight before while being like drunk, kind of. Still, I got on a flight once at like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. from Vegas, and we were like in the club at like 4 a.m. Yeah. Not a good experience. Do not recommend that. The, Don't the ever worst do that. flight of my life was flying hungover after <clears throat> yeah. drinking until about three. You ever or thrown four. up on a plane before? It is awful. I have not. It's awful. Don't ever do it. I don't. I don't throw up from drinking. I haven't in like ten yeah. years. Well, that was like one of the only times I've thrown up from drinking. But also, do you remember the team event that I showed up to and didn't play with you and Jim because I was so sick? Uh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I threw up three times on the plane on the way there. And yeah, that was physical, the one in Ohio somewhere. Yeah, I was in I was in my seat, like, having to use the bag or whatever, and, like, it physically hurts. Because, like, you're up in a plane and, like, there's yeah. pressure and stuff, like, your ribs. Oh, it was awful. Uh, Matt3024 says, being at the airport. Overrated. Um, I actually think this is underrated. There's so I many people that, like, overrated. actively try to get to the plane, like, as late as possible and are just, just like... Flying in the face of God, trying it like you, you mean know, Cedric? yeah, actively like trying to miss flights, and I'm they just like the last person to, they would walk on as the door is closed. Yes, <laughs> and I'm just thinking like I never want to miss a flight. Missing a flight is horrible, and like sitting in the airport for an hour with free Wi-Fi and air conditioning is fine. Like. The, there's ample bathrooms, free Wi-Fi, ample food and air conditioning, and plenty of space. If you want to like not be near people, like you can walk to a weird corner of the airport and, and plop yourself down somewhere. Uh, so, like, what is the problem being there for an hour? Like, I'm just gonna kill time doing that same exact thing at home. And yeah, that would be better. I would rather be in my own home. But the peace of mind, knowing that I'm not gonna miss a yeah. flight. There's yeah, there's something to be said about that. Like I actually just had a weird experience. So I had a gig over the weekend in Ohio that I was supposed to go to, and like I could have gone to. Like I was I had a negative test, you know. I'm like blah blah blah. Um, 
it was a you know paying gig obviously i actually showed up at the airport for my flight i actually showed up early my flight got delayed four separate times i was going to miss my connector so they were like you can take your flight and stay in charlotte but the only flights tomorrow are you still have to go through another like two more flights and it's going to take like 10 hours or you can wait and do this again all day today so it was like all the options were really bad and so like i talked to the person you know the the, the people that like hired me for the gig and i was like look all this shit's going on i'm still not feeling comfortable like are you okay if i just like don't show up and they're like yeah you know we had a we had a backup anyway just in case because like you know you tested positive for covid and i was like are y'all sure and they're like yeah cool and i was like look i'll still blow up on social media for your guys and stuff but like you know i just didn't go you know so it's like whatever yeah sk hedges says oh, hold on hold on sorry I'm, go ahead i'm not i'm not i'm not done here um i one i, I have a story uh i was flying to a tournament uh out of roanoke and the Roanoke Airport is right near the city. Uh, it was about 10 to 15 minutes from my apartment, right? Super close. I still got there with plenty of time. And, and also pre-pandemic, you never waited more than 10 minutes in the security line. And 10 was not very often. But a lot of like half the time I would walk in and there'd be nowhere, no one in the line or like two people. So uh, you never really had to worry much about security. Yeah. Um, so Baton Rouge is. Yeah. yeah so the, like this is like the airport that you could you know skirt skate by with uh, and get to the, you could get to the airport if you're pre if you're already checked in you could get to the airport 30 minutes before your flight and be fine um, most of the time but I'm there you know hour hour and a half beforehand just make sure I'm there and um, I while I'm there I I am just looking through my stuff which I actually like never do because I usually check it before I leave. But for some reason I like did while I was there and realized that I had left a deck on my desk and this was a legacy event. So there's no way I'm being, I'm going to be able to like borrow a legacy deck on such short notice. Right. So I'm like, I I've got to go back. So I literally called an Uber from the airport, caught it back to my apartment, told the guy the situation on the way he waited for me I he drove me back to the airport. I went back through security and still made my flight. That's impressive. Yeah. I think I remember the story and being like, you're just an actual crazy person. Yeah. Uh, I, and I got there with plenty of time. Like they hadn't even called my group yet <laughs> when I got back. Uh, they were boarding already, but they, they were like just barely boarding, like groups one and two. Um, the one thing I will say, this does not mean that I actively enjoy airports because airport security is a fucking nightmare. So once you're past security, and I took the question to mean that because I said being at an airport, and I kind of view security as part of like getting to the airport, <laughs> uh, but airport security is a fucking nightmare and shouldn't exist to the lengths that it does, uh, and I hate it. And I wanted to make sure that my strong feelings on that were uh, were known. So I still hate airports. Trains are way better. We should have high-speed trains. Yeah, we, we really should. All right, let's get a few more, and then we'll get out of here. Um, look through early morning flights. Uh, I, I think they're underrated because, like, actually having the day is nice. If you do, like, midday flights, I feel like you lose your whole day because, like, you do a few things in the morning, and then you have to, you know, set aside, like, six or whatever hours to go to your flight, and then you get there, and you're tired, and your day's kind of over. So, like, I like my flights to be one of the extremes, like, really late or really early, if I can do that. Oh, I actually like, like, late morning flights. When I say early, I don't want to like 5 a.m. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think they mean. Early, I hate the early morning flights. It's like so hard to get an Uber that early, uh, to, like to get to the airport if you're not driving. It's just miserable. 
I often now have a hard time, like, waking up, so I just try to, like, stay up late, and sometimes that doesn't work. I've missed early morning flights several times, and I hate them. All right, uh, Chef Petro says 100 grand. By the way, what's up, Chef? I haven't heard from you in a while. 100 grand, the candy. Uh, overrated. Um, properly rated? I don't even know what the rating of it is. It's like yeah, such probably a, properly rated, actually, yeah. Like, it's probably fine. But most candy bars in general, I find, overrated, like, I eat, like, one every six months, maybe. It's really funny. I had a candy bar today for the first time, and fuck, I couldn't tell you how long. Yeah. What is your you favorite candy bar, Tannen? It's the one I ate today. Can you guess? Um, I feel like you should know this, or you should be able to figure I'm gonna it out. I'm going to guess Twix. Nope. I'll give you, I'll give you like, three guesses. Uh, like you, you know what I like, right? Um... I don't you know. know I don't eat sweets very much. Yeah, I know. It's and it's been a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd probably have a much better chance at the, answering this question like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but I'm gonna say Kit it. You're gonna Kat? immediately. It's not a Kit Kat though. I I, I will eat a Kit Kat. But, yeah, but I um, like the I like like one or two Kit Kat. You know, I'm talking about like the 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 Halloween Kit Kats. Where you yeah, get, like, one or two. Like I don't want a whole four bar one. Um, um, I'll give you I'll give you a hint. It's like broken. Like, a lot of people are always like, oh, it's broken. Like, it's like a it's like a two-piecer. Like, it's a, it's a, it comes as, like, a candy bar, but, like, if you didn't know and you pick it up, it feels like it's broken. You're talking about... I actually had a, I had a girl that I dated way back in, like, high school who went to buy me one. And she's like, yeah, I spent five minutes trying to find you and not a broken one. Now which I... is funny. I Now I don't know what you're talking about. It's Almond Joy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it comes we... with, like, two pieces, but yeah. it, it's, it's, it looks like a candy bar. It's, like, yeah. one solid bar. So like when you pick it, it that up, one went through my head too. I should have remembered yeah. that. We've talked about this before. Yeah, because I like that, coconut a lot. Yeah, like that's my that's my mom's favorite too. That's a good one. That's a that's a top tier candy bar. It's a way top tier. You want to know why I bought one? Why I had been craving one forever. Uh, when I was at the airport a couple days ago, uh, some lady was just like, I just saw a lady eating an almond joy, and I was like, I'm very jealous of this person right now. <laughs> like, I've told you about like, the fancy almond joys I order at the holidays, right? Yeah, yeah, you have. I, you, you need to uh, when the when they come up, like when you're about to order them, remind me so I can order some. Or uh, when I come visit, let's just get some sent to us. Yeah, they are. Uh, that sounds great. Actually, they're let's incredible. Let's do that. All right. Speaking of incredible, like this episode's been incredible. You're incredible. I love you. I missed you. I somehow made it through this without dying, uh, coughing a bunch, and I'm excited about that. So. Let's go ahead and call it there. Ross, if people want to hear more from you, see more of you, where could they go? You can go to my Twitter account. I am at Ross Hunnids. Uh, that's the best place to keep abreast of all the things I'm doing. In particular, next weekend, I will be with Todd Anderson commentating the Apex Gaming Invitational Tournament that they're holding. I will be tuning into this. It's going to be great. Uh, so, you know, follow my Twitter and Todd's to get more information on that as it approaches. But that is going to be a great time. We're going to be doing a bunch of modern. And we also just signed on to do uh, the Invitational Saturday. And then Sunday, we're going to be doing an, another, like, qualifier event that they're running. Um, I think it's, like, their, you know, you know, this round of qualifiers starting in July. I think that's what's going on. But it, it's another, like, 1K or 2K modern event that they're running Sunday. Cool. So we're going to yeah, have... why not, right? You yeah. get set up and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going to have a full weekend of Paper Magic on stream for you all to watch with the two of us commentating. Should be a great time. I'm not going to lie. I'd actually really, really, at one point in time, I think we'd be doing a disservice to ourselves if, A, you and I didn't get in the booth together, or me and Todd at least once didn't yeah. happen in a booth i would love to honestly and this is nothing against you i would love to see the 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 dynamic between todd and i in a booth together i think it would be very interesting oh yeah so we'll have to see that but uh if you want more from me you can follow me on twitter at the tannin grace uh 
easiest way to follow me in any way, shape, or form. Also, make sure you check out the Twitter of the, the cast and the Discord. So there's links for that all on there. But for everybody at home, thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you all next week.